favorite time of the week and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this show to power you through a workout or a run, getting fit, staying fit, using us to help you out. We're going to be with you in your ear holes 90 plus minutes, probably more. We got more bonus content this week. So hunker down, get ready to rock, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Parachute and Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who's making it all happen this week, cobbling it together. We're, we're getting through Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Yeah, uh, people that are listening on the RSS, we had some stuff going in, and if this sounds weird, that's why, Jeff, I'll be honest, you sound a lot quieter to me all of a sudden. <laughs> Do I really? <laughs> yeah. That's maybe it's good. just me. Um, let me just check my settings real quick. Uh, no, don't worry make about sure it. there's not any... Um, nope, nothing should be normal. Should be normal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, we have a great guest. That's, that's the good news for you guys, is we're going to be talking games. We've got lots of fun stuff to talk about. I've got to be honest. I've got to be fair warning to everybody. I know you don't like it when I do this, but this is going to be a VR-heavy episode, at least from me, because uh, I got my Oculus this week. Already have my Vive, a lot of comparison, a lot of a lot of new games I've been trying out. So a lot of Vive commentary coming from coming at you from me. I hope you're in, in for that. Uh, also, our bonus content this week is a uh, is a VR discussion that I had with Joel Green from Cloudhead Games, the guys that made Call of the Starseed, the first episode of the Gallery that I've been raving about. Uh, and you know, I I asked you guys whether this bonus content stuff is is good and and worthwhile and. It, doesn't bloat the episodes too much or make them too long. And all the commentary, all the reaction that I got was more, more, more. So that's what we're going to do. I, I think it's, it's really fun. We're going to have uh, more of that bonus content coming at you. I'm going to try to have fun interviews with people that uh, I'm interested in and uh, Christian is interested in. And, and you know, we'll, we'll do more going forward. i got another one for next week already lined up. So, uh, you know, keep giving me the feedback at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com and let me know if this is worthwhile stuff. But, like I said, we do have a great guest with us. I'm so excited. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh my gosh, we're excited. We have a new DLC distinction because this week DLC stands for Distinguished Lady of Competition. Because while you know her from GameStop (laughs) and Machinima and Weekend Confirmed from Days Gone By... We are excited to welcome her back to the show in her new role as host, producer, and writer at Yahoo Esports. We're delighted to welcome back Miss Andrea Renee. Welcome back, Andrea. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You always have the most creative ways to introduce me. <laughs> well, I, I try. You know, you, we got to figure out ways to entice you back to the show, Andrea. You're, you got so many projects, it's, it's hard to get, get you back on the show, but we're happy to have you. Well, I'm happy to be here. I was writing in the chat that I'm going to pop your VR bubble. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> let's, let's, we'll wait on that. There's a lot of, a lot of people like, like popping my VR bubble. But um, before we get to that, just real quick, tell me what your new, uh, your new role is at, at Yahoo Esports and tell me about what's going on over there. It sounds pretty exciting. 
Yeah, we are doing all kinds of really cool things. I don't have to tell you guys that esports is the fastest growing sector of video games right now. It's just exploded over the last couple of years. It seems like every time you turn around, there's another news story about a major media outlet getting involved in the esports business. So Yahoo approached me, you know, in late uh, 2015, you know, with their plans to launch their channel. And I said, we'd love to have you on board. And I said, what an exciting opportunity. I've been doing games for such a long time. And really the part of video games where my knowledge is maybe a little lacking. And so there was a big opportunity for me to learn something new was esports. And I'm a full believer in always continuing your education and always expanding your professional skills as you continue with your career because otherwise you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So I was super excited to kind of jump headfirst into the deep end of esports with Yahoo. And we have such a fantastic team, a really professional group of production people that came from the Yahoo Sports division, which is the team at Yahoo that's overseeing everything that esports does. And then we have a really great roster of experts for specific games, you know, Travis Gafford and Taylor Koch, Dylan Walker. Now we just added Michael Martin for FGC coverage. So it's been a really awesome opportunity to work with Yahoo, and I'm really excited for the upcoming busy tournament season this summer. So you guys are covering not just MOBAs, but you're covering first-person shooter, you, the whole gamut. Every, every game that's in a competitive scene, you guys are on top of. Well, I can't say every game because, as you know, there are quite a few of them, but we are trying to do as much coverage as possible. We are still expanding our team, but we are still limited by the scope, you know, of how many hands we have to actually get this content out. So we have five pillar games, so League, Dota, uh, Heroes of the Storm, Counter-Strike, and Street Fighter are kind of our big pillars that we Mm -hmm. do the most coverage around. But, of course, we cover Smash, you know, we cover... You know, some of the other shooters like Call of Duty and Halo, we just don't do them on as extensive of a basis. Very cool. So people can find that content by going to Yahoo, I guess? At esports.yahoo.com. We do coverage seven days a week. We have a brand new iOS app that just launched. We also have an Android app, which makes it really easy to find coverage. And if you guys like the Yahoo Sports app, if for you know your professional sports, you'll be right at home with the esports app. And what's really cool is they have a spoiler button, which means if you want to look up matches but you don't want to see what the current scores are, you can hit spoilers off so you can look and see who's playing when, but it won't reveal what the scores are. Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, let's jump into the show. We got a lot to cover, and uh, we'll start the show as we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag, uh, DLC SOTW on Twitter or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5.reddit.com. Lots of fun conversations happening there. Uh, we also love your feedback, DLCfeedback at gmail.com. Really cool emails this week, which we'll be getting to. But Andrea, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, I mean, it might not be the biggest story, but it's the story that's most interesting to me. Excuse me. I definitely have to go with the destiny expansion league yes we got uh looks like pretty credible evidence of uh what is looks like the fourth expansion to destiny some art that was leaked on reddit um this looks like it's going to be called what 
something about iron. Rise of the iron. What is it called? Rise of iron. Yeah. Rise of iron. Name on the poster. Yeah, so you're a big Destiny fan. Uh, this looks like it was going to be a big E3 reveal that has leaked. Uh, are you excited for more Destiny, and, and what do you make of, of this leak? I am. I think the kind of little pieces of content that they've been kind of drip-feeding Destiny fans have been, I don't want to say a waste of time, but they haven't been big enough to hook me to getting back in the game. I actually haven't played with my clan in quite some time like I after this last piece of content came out um I jumped back on to try to you know get into some matches and it just it didn't quite have the pull that the Taken King and really House of Wolves was probably my favorite expansion so far and I think it's just because it's just not they're not rewarding the high level players with enough content to make it worth my while at this point I I kind of tweeted about how I thought it was silly that they would be putting out story content that's below the maximum amount of the maximum level that you mm-hmm. could be at right now. Because the people that are playing, who are playing the expansions, are the maximum are level forty, right? Like yeah. who's it's, it's such a small group of people who would be beginning or even like mid level that would buy an expansion. I think at this point, you know, almost two years into the game. Um, so I, I, I've been disappointed, but if the fourth major expansion is anything like the Taken King, I'm, I'm ready. I'm definitely ready for a new raid and something, um, with, uh, the Fallen as one of the factions sounds really awesome. Yeah. That's definitely the, the balance that any game like this has to strike, uh, with new expansion content is how much do you need to retain the gamers that are already invested in your game and give them more end game content versus, trying to add something in for new players to entice them into the game that aren't already, you know, the choir you're preaching to. Uh, So it's always been a challenge, I think, for any kind of MMO-esque experience. But I think, you know, I feel you on the end game content on content because anybody that loves these games just want more to do at the end of things. Um, So we don't know exactly what this is going to consist of. I think the the easy bet is that, yes, there'll be another raid and uh, hopefully it'll be pretty interesting. Uh, from a story perspective, a lot of people are reading into this image that hit Reddit uh, being this um, banner crucible master Lord Saladin, which I don't know anything about Destiny, so but that sounds cool. Some Somebody that's already established in the lore, uh, wielding a flaming hammer. Uh, looks pretty neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I think this is pretty exciting stuff. I think E3 is going to be a lot of expansion talk this year. Christian, are you excited about this this leak? Cautiously optimistic is what I would say. I, I feel like, you know, from the Activision lawsuit documents we saw before and like Destiny 2 was kind of planned for now or, you know, way back when was planned for now. I'm hoping that this wasn't a scramble. Oh, crap. We got to fill the void with something <laughs> like uh, we got to keep people playing this. We want to keep them interested until Destiny 2 comes out. What do we have? What do we have? What do we have? And it's thrown, to, thrown together because Taken King was such an awesome package. And now going into E3, there are so many other games that can be competing for this type of thing. I mean, heck, Overwatch isn't even out yet. And how do they tweak that as it comes out and gets better? Um, is the division going to have anything, something else coming along? This this is a pretty competitive time for gaming right now. So I, 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 I like Destiny, but I too have not played it, I think, since the division came out. And I haven't been playing only The Division. It's like, there was The Division, then Uncharted 4, then Doom, then Overwatch, and then yeah. No Man's Sky. And it's just, it's, I think it's going to take a lot to pull me back. 
Andrew, what do you think about this this thing that Christian's bringing up of of the fact that we know Destiny Two is happening? Is that is this all sort of just a um, you know uh, uh, placating the audience and for the real news that everybody wants? I mean, do you, are you hoping that you'll get some juice on on Destiny Two at E three this year? I would love to say something about Destiny Two. I think it's pretty obvious now that Destiny Two is not coming in two thousand sixteen. Um, you know, Bungie has not outright said that, but hinted as much. Um, I'm happy to wait if it's going to be as big or bigger than the original Destiny Vanilla. Um, I would like to see even more content. I would I would happily pay another sixty dollars. I actually bought Destiny more than once. <laughs> Me too. Um, you, know, you, don't, you know, you don't have to do that, right? You know, you, you, you just buy it once and play it as much as you want. You don't have to keep buying it. I know it's because I bought a collector's edition and then I bought another copy to get one of the expansions. It, it was complicated. Uh-huh. Um, at one point, I had five is. Destiny discs at my house. I don't even want to. I don't even want to go into why. Um, <laughs> but it was bad. Um, so I think that it would be silly for them not to show something, even if it's just a teaser at E3. Um, but maybe they'll wait. We're seeing a lot of publishers now you know, do their own, you know, kind of tentpole announcements at random times of the year. Yeah. So could it be at E3? Yes. Could it not? Who knows? But given their strong partnership with PlayStation, I highly suspect we'll see something at the Sony press conference. Could it yeah. be Monday as we're recording this episode Sunday? <laughs> yeah, we are recording a little early this week, just slightly early. So if, if something hits Monday, you already know that we're wrong. <laughs> but but I you know I think honestly this leak points to less information about Destiny Two. I think if they have a major expansion for the first Destiny, I think they'll probably keep the focus on that in the short term and and wait on leaking or not leaking but revealing any information about the big numbered sequel. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Gran Turismo Sport has a date. It has a trailer. Uh, I mean, with some gameplay, but also just like uh, cars being sexy by the beach photo mode. I don't know if you guys. <laughs> yeah, you guys it really was. It really is just a photo mode of like, hey, look at how hot that car is in, on the beach. <laughs> yeah, did you put the Mercedes in the bikini and have it play volleyball? It felt like a weird crossover for me. But, it was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> um, it is still not quite sure how big of a game this is going to be it's not called seven but at a time after they first announced sport i remember sony was saying like this isn't just a holdover like this is big and someone was like why don't you call it seven and i think the sony's reply is because i think they said because that's not what it is (laughs) which is like well what is it well it Um, does feel like polyphony doesn't know how to make small games you know seriously yeah um they showed some gameplay i think Part of me thinks the graphics look amazing, and part of me think that they're not quite what they need to be. Like, it's missing some of the things that... This is based on a trailer for a game that comes out November 15th. But, like, engine noise doesn't quite sound all there. Reflections of the environment and other cars on the track don't seem quite up to snuff with what Drive Club or even Forza... What Forza are we on? Six? Seven? Eight? I don't know. Um, are, Are doing... But, like, the environmental lighting, like, the sky, it looks like it has weight to the atmosphere and stuff like that. Um, I'm a big, you know, Garnet Lee, and I carried the driving game mantle for a while there. And, and I still love it, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if this will be the one that pulls me back to driving circles. Because Forza Horizon 2 is such a good game that it might be hard for me to go in loops again. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the first first Gran, Gran Turismo on PlayStation Four. Uh, that should make it a big deal, right? That should make it a you know, it's got more horsepower to deal with, and they're always pushing the bleeding edge uh, at Polyphony of, of what they can get away with, and um, you know. I'm not, this isn't the game for me, but I am excited that they talk, continue to talk about PlayStation VR integration. And, uh, I don't know how you're going to pull off that game at a frame rate that'll work in PlayStation VR, but I'm excited to see them try, (laughs) uh, go for it. Um, Andrew, do you have any thoughts about this one? Um, I agree. It seems like VR is what they're pushing with this title, but I 100% agree with you that it sounds like a vomit fest waiting to happen. (laughs) Um, the idea of being inside the driver's seat of a race car going those speeds in virtual reality just instantly makes me a little nauseous and I'm not even wearing a VR headset. Well, that's real life. Like my wife went out on the track, uh, with one of the Porsche instructors when I was like more serious into road racing and she took it, he took her out in his Porsche GT3 and just for two hot laps and like, you know, Why, it was like, like, I'm I'm gonna steal your wife. Is that what he said? (laughs) If by stealing stealing meant having my wife throw up in his like $140,000 sports car, then yes, he was trying (laughs) to steal my wife. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's already, there's already Project Cars is already available. I haven't tried it yet, but uh, I've read some people's reaction to it in VR and, you know, there's, yes, there's a a range. People definitely think it's a little nausea inducing, but. Um, I'm interested to give it a try because that's the the first racing game that I know of right now that that supports uh, the Vive and the Oculus. So eh, it'd be interesting to see what, what they can do with. I'm just worried about it on the on the console because it's you know I feel like they're probably already pushing the console pretty hard just to hit like a 60 frames per second, let alone you know that in two screens at once. So well, that was the rumors. Again, this is like based off of one trailer, but that is the rumors for maybe why the visuals aren't quite up to what drive club was doing two years ago i mean that game had its own mess of problems but people are speculating that some things are down res or whatever because they're trying to optimize it to still work in the you know underpowered playstation vr interesting conspiracy theories of vr ruining it for everyone (laughs) well uh, speaking of vr my i told you it's gonna be a vr heavy episode i you know stick with us though it's just fun stuff to talk about um i i gotta say that i think my story of the week by far is is this Google Daydream announcement. Uh, Google I.O. happened this week and a lot of interesting announcements for Android. But for my money, for a, from a gaming perspective, the most interesting is this Daydream initiative, which is their standards, um, a series of standards that are going to be open to a lot of different uh, developers and um, hardware manufacturers to create phones and peripherals that will deliver a mobile VR experience uh, across the Android line. So basically the idea here is that Google sets out to create uh, a minimum spec and then a mode in the operating system that allows the phones to switch over and divert power to maintaining a very solid frame rate and low latency so that when you're, you're running an, um, a VR application that you get the best possible experience. I think this is pretty cool. Um, they also revealed a new controller that is uh, this tiny little remote. It's very similar, in fact, to the remote that the Oculus ships with. Uh, it's a little... How would you, how would you know that? Because my Oculus finally got here, Christian. <laughs> finally. Uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, it, it, I find the controller for this to be what 
is necessary. Obviously, if, you, if you're talking about a mobile VR experience, you want to have a controller that's small and portable and light and easy to get around, and you can just stick it in your pocket, and it's not going to be a big old you know, PlayStation or Xbox controller. But at the same time, it, it, because of those things, it's very limited in what it can do. And I, I'm a little disappointed just from somebody that's looking for a more interesting VR experience at how limited that, that controller ended up having to be. Um, Andrea, did you get a chance to see any of the stuff about uh, Google's Daydream? I actually didn't uh, watch too much coverage, um, mostly because I wasn't that interested. <laughs> um, here's my thing: like I, I've openly said on several different platforms that I'm just very, very skeptical about VR right now and the idea that it's just another Gear VR kind of experience. I think I think Google is right. I think mobile and VR go hand in hand. I just don't think the the tech is quite up to speed yet, um, except for really basic experiences. I think yeah, the kind of like pipe dream for VR is like you take your VR headset on like a long flight and you can like put it on and kind of immerse yourself in another environment, um, you know, and not have to be tethered mm-hmm. to a giant PC rig. Um, but I don't think you know the tech is there yet, so it's hard for me to. Well, you put can do that. I mean, stock into it. You can do that right now. Uh, you can put on Gear VR, and you know you can. There's games and experiences that you can do in the headset on a flight. You can do that now. Uh, oh, oh no, I'm I'm aware, but there's nothing. There's none of those experiences that are available right now are in like so intriguing to me that I want to spend the required money to go out and buy. You know, a, a Galaxy or a Note, and then to get the to get the Gear VR. Mm-hmm. I hear you. If that makes sense, I think it's I think it's smart of them to be forward thinking and realize that the turnover rate on these phones is high enough that to kind of make this a standard feature in their new operating system, and that you know, in a few years, all these phones are going to be powerful enough to be able to to, to do this pretty well, <clears throat> and then. At that point, the phone you already have will be capable of doing VR, and it's just a matter of getting a headset and then having this sort of headset standard that is comfortable and portable and easy. Uh, we haven't really seen any of the headsets yet that they're talking about with this new initiative, but um, I, you know, I think that for the most part, most people's first experience with VR is going to be this kind of mobile version, and to have it be as uh, prioritized from Google as it is and have it be as, as high uh, you know, as good an experience as they're trying to make it. I think that's very important in order to convince people like Andrea, who's skeptical, uh, to that this is cool. You know, and I, I want more people to be convinced it's cool. I'm just worried, honestly, that the kinds of experiences I want, which is not this, <laughs> which is the you know the Oculus and Vive experiences that are you know made for an even higher end system and are able to show me more exciting things and able to have me do more exciting things because they're not worried about being mobile, um, that we'll see a lot of games for Oculus and Vive just being ports, sort of like Gunjack is right now for, uh, for Oculus. Gunjack is a Gear VR game that's been ported over, and they improved it quite a bit, which is cool, but you know, you're still just steering with your head, and uh, I, I just don't want everything to be made for this little controller and then shoehorned into a much cooler environment on Vive, for example. So that's my worry. Christian, do you have any thoughts? 
Well, I think this mobile VR space is it's more of a VR viewer instead of an interactor. Like you have a little controller to switch from watching Deadpool on your, you know, projected movie theater screen to touring around um, Athens so you can get a feel for what it's going to be like when you land there in 10 hours or whatever. And there will be some light gaming experiences. But I, I mean, I understand your fear, but I think it's a little unwarranted in the sense that we have, you know, Jetpack Joyride was ported over from mobile to consoles. You know what I mean? We have a, a <coughs> world where we've seen that happening already, but we also still have Uncharted 4 and Doom and <laughs> Overwatch right. and you know, all these other games. And I think you'll still see dedicated VR games. And I think... Well, the difference there is that, you know, you have a mobile market that's X number of millions, but you also have a a home market that's X number of millions. If you're talking about a VR mobile market that's X number of millions and a home VR market that's X number of thousands, I think that's a lot different. And I think it will entice developers in a completely different way. Well, I think the biggest... The biggest problem that Google has, though, unfortunately, is while they do a lot of cool things with Android, it really is still the wild, wild west. You see the numbers of how many people have even updated to the most recent operating system of Android. It's it's shockingly low. And so many, quote unquote, new phones come out that don't even support the newest hardware. And part of the presentation this year was them trying to say, like, look, 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 we have this not to get boiled down in the tech, which I don't fully understand, but a way to make sure your game works on the uh, operating system that the user might have. So you don't be worried about a fractured user base. But that's the the big hurdle that I think Android has. And this VR thing suffers from that same problem because your phone can do this, but what phone can do it? When can you do it? Because I understand they don't want to go the full Apple route of like, these are the two phones you can buy that run this uh, software. But um, it's not a unified world where everyone that has an Android phone will have this VR experience yet, at least. Yeah. Um, Another story I wanted to bring up real quick is the uh, the, just because I I like it and it's heartwarming. I think more people should be aware of it. If if you're not already uh, aware, uh, there's a really great video that I think Naughty Dog actually released um, talking about how the Uncharted 4 developers – made a real concerted effort to make the game accessible to uh, people with various disabilities and how that came to be. I guess uh, there's a, a fellow by the name of Josh Straub who uh, is uh, disabled and had a hard time finishing the last Uncharted game because of all of the repetitive button pressing that he needed to do. He got to a place, I guess this was Uncharted 2 he's talking about. He got to a, a place in Uncharted 2 where he he, he physically couldn't progress because you have to button mash to open a bunch of doors at the end. And he was frustrated that he had to ask uh, someone who didn't have the same disability he does to assist him in getting past that segment. He actually couldn't physically do it. So he reached out to Naughty Dog and they were receptive enough that they completely designed a, a series of menu options in Uncharted 4 to make the game as accessible as possible to a whole variety of gamers with, with different uh, different abilities and uh, it's pretty awesome. It's a pretty inspiring video. So I just kind of wanted to highlight that and, and, and bring it up. Do you guys have any thoughts, Andrea? I think this is a fantastic story. I do a lot of work and sit on the advisory board for Able Gamers, which is another charity that works with gamers with disabilities. They actually have a community site called UnstoppableGamer.com that also rates games based on their accessibility. And I think that anybody or any developer that goes out of their way to make their games playable to everybody should absolutely be 
commended. And hopefully more developers will take a page from their playbook and kind of look at what they did. There was actually a really great talk at GDC for from Able Gamers on how developers can get the tools to make their games more accessible. I think sometimes, you know, we don't stop to think about the back end and what it sometimes requires from a production standpoint to add those accessibility features in. But it's really nice to know that there are people out there that are, you know, doing that kind of work and really trying to kind of um, make sure that it's uh, an issue that people stop to think about. Because if you don't have somebody in your life that has a disability, then you maybe are ignorant to the fact that there are lots of games that people with disabilities can't play at all. all Even something as simple as, you know, being colorblind. There are certain games that you can't play because of that. Yeah, I think that the video makes a great point of of not just talking about you know Josh's particular disabilities, but a whole range of them that they addressed, including colorblindness, which is you know uh, relatively minor on that on that spectrum of of things that get in the way. But nonetheless, you know if if there's two teams and one is green and one is red, it's hard to differentiate them for a lot of gamers. So it, it opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I think it's a, a well worth watching. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, this particular story did get some traction, and I'm glad people are, are paying attention to it because it is one of those things that it needs to have the light shown on it more because awareness is what breeds change because it's easy to live in your world and, you know, with your limitations and do things and view things your way and not consider others because they don't exist within your bubble. And in the the parenting podcast I do, we had a you know an email come in that was kind of the same thing. It was like, hey, guys, I know you're not going to have an answer for this, but, you know, this is something I want to people to know exists. And I think things like that are important because far too often, you know, as I'm playing, when I saw that option in Uncharted, I was just like, that's weird. And that was just my ignorance. You know, I was like, well, I, do I want that on or off? I don't know what that is. And it's, it's great that more people that talk about it, the higher awareness gets. And then the more people that it can enjoy this hobby, you know, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, super cool. So I urge you guys to check out that video too. I think it'll open your eyes. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, first, I do need to thank our sponsor, Parachute. I'm. I have to tell you guys, uh, you know, this this is this is a product that I'm truly and deeply in love with, and I'm totally saying that from the heart. Uh, they, they didn't tell me to say that. <laughs> I'm totally saying that. I uh, got the opportunity to get some parachute sheets for my bed. I'm t- I've never experienced sheets like this. It sounds like hyperbole and it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, I I wake up sometimes in the morning to my and I lean over to my wife and I go, "I love these sheets. I lo- they they feel so good. <laughs> it feels like sleeping in a hotel, like the best hotel. I'm telling you, it's pretty great." So parachute provides bedding and essentials uh sheets, comforters, all all kinds of stuff like that. But they're really high quality. And this is another one of those companies that really breaks the mold and allows you to buy stuff online, delivers it to you in a really cool package, makes it easy to get it and, and can cut out the middleman. And so creates a much less expensive experience for really high quality product. It's great. It has free shipping, free returns and a 30 night risk free guarantee. So you can check them out for a month before you decide you're going to, whether you want to keep them or not. I'm telling you, I have never experienced sheets like this. They feel so great. Uh, I, I am truly in love with them. I don't want them to be replaced. We have like 
you know, you have that sheet rotation in your house where you're like, well, I'll take one off, wash it, and then put on the other one. We take ours off, wash them, and I wait until they're done being washed to put them back on my bed because I don't want to sleep on anything else. I'm telling you. And and the coolest thing is we're going to give you $25 off your first order just because you listen to this show. All you got to do is go to parachutehome.com slash DLC. That's P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E-H-O-M-E, parachutehome.com slash DLC. Very important you put that in too. And use the promo code DLC when you check out. You get $25 off your first order. That's pretty good. Uh, This is is really something I genuinely highly recommend. Uh, I told my wife we need to order another set for ourselves. And I told my in-laws that they need to get these. Parachute.com, so, so great. So check it out. Parachutehome.com, I should say. Slash DLC, use that promo code DLC, get yourself $25 off, and sleep better. I'm telling you, I do. It's, it's great. It's great. All right, guys, uh, let's move on to the playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week, you tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week, you tell us on the playlist. All right, lots of great games out right now. Andrea, what is on your playlist? Well, um, I, of course, like many other people out there, have been playing Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fantastic. And I'm not quite finished yet because I've, John and I are playing it together. We'll trade chapters. Life or level? Kind of life fun. or level? Is that you do? Um, no, we don't do life or level. Uh, we just do level unless one of the levels is mostly cutscenes, mm. which happened earlier on in the game. But now that we're... In like the back half, there is a lot more action because he prefers the platforming and puzzle sections, and I prefer the shooting sections. Okay, um, sounds like so a perfect team. Pre- I know it works out great. Um, so I've been playing that. I started playing Doom, which um, I was a little hesitant about. Uh, I had no doubt that it was going to make a really awesome, fast-paced run and gun shooter. I just like the constant demons like running at you and like my elevated heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know if it'd be good for your health. <laughs> yes, ex- ex- exactly. Um, but I've been, I've been enjoying that as well. And then of course I'm just, I'm head over heels obsessed with Paragon. I just like, I can't stop thinking about it when I'm not playing it. I want to be playing it. And I'm trying to force myself to play other things. Oh man. Okay. So let's, I want to, I want to deep dive into all three of these games, but let's start there. Cause it sounds like the, what's the one you're most passionate about Paragon. The, this is the MOBA, the sort of uh, third person action MOBA from Epic. Um, tell me why you're so in love with it. I have started playing MOBAs. Um, League was really my first um, kind of, experience with MOBAs and um, I'm going to hopefully get you to show me the ropes in Heroes uh, sometime in the near future. Yeah, happy to. Um, and because MOBAs were just like a time commitment and really just like a too deep of a infrastructure for me to learn, I think really I'm just basing that off of most of my experience with League. I was like, there's so many items and there's over a hundred champions. Like, I don't know like even where to begin. And then I went to a preview event for Paragon. And immediately, the gameplay felt recognizable to me. It's that third-person, over-the-shoulder shooting style that is very recognizable for fans of Epic's work. The world that they drop you into is like a really pretty, like 
lush, like outdoor environment. Like the jungle actually like feels like you're in a jungle, you know, with the sounds and the water and the, the vegetation all around you. Having it be 3D, I think really was the tipping point for me to really kind of deep dive into this game because you feel like you're part of the world and you're part of the action. Yeah. I think that type, the top down kind of 2D view that you get with, you know, like Dota um, or League is kind of, it feels like you're a little bit removed from the action. And when I'm in a team fight and, you know, like the five heroes from each team are like going at it, like you're in it, you're in the fight. And I just find it to be it's funny because, so rewarding. It's funny because I feel the exact I don't, opposite. I, don't know, I just really but, love it. I love the heroes. Everything about it has just been a, an exciting gameplay experience for me. Did you have the same feeling with Smite? Like, just is just sort of the perspective change? That was, was a big was part, I think. Part for you? <clears throat> the reason why Smite um, didn't necessarily grab me um, was because I think I just didn't spend enough time getting to know all of the different gods. And I don't know if it was like the fact that they use a god, right. you know, in mythology system uh, rather than like a kind of like a sci fi fantasy system that was the, the difference there. I mm-hmm. think the verticality of the levels. Um, in Paragon also helps. I don't, I don't know what it is. I, th- I think it's like the card system, the deck building also was really approachable and kind of um, appealed to my love of RPGs and progression and the way that you can kind of stack your right. cards and then pick which upgrades you want and then you know work with your team. I think it also helps that uh, my clan started playing Paragon right away and they – keep playing i think with any team-based pvp game if you have people that play with you on a regular basis it's going to make you love the game more which is why i got so deep into destiny 100 because i always had yeah. people i knew online all the time yeah i think that's that speaks to a, a large part of what these game what how these games catch on is that feeling of community and and if you come in with a built-in group for sure, I think that's a huge advantage. Um, it's interesting because I feel the exact opposite from from you. Uh, I think that may just be you know our personal tastes in games. Like you, you're into Gears of War and uh, you know shooters stuff like that, and I am too. But I much prefer the sort of top down feeling because rather than making me feel detached, I feel like I have a much broader sense of what's going on around me so that I don't feel like oh my god I got killed because I got shot in the back and I didn't know there was even a person back there or whatever. Um, and I, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, these games are, are built for slightly different tastes like that. And um, I think having a game that's more accessible to people that uh, are more comfortable in, in the shooter environment uh, is, is a real positive. But it's certainly something that has been a bit of an impediment for me trying Paragon. But I got to try it. Whatever you really want to try, let me know. They have PC and PS4 crossplay. Yeah, playing awesome. on PS4. Are you playing on PS4? Yeah, because I have it on PC, so I, I, I've installed it. I just haven't gotten around to even get it, giving it a try because Heroes <laughs> is sitting there constantly. But there, I've been wanting to find a place on this show to go into my sort of theory about, well, Heroes, but I think it applies to MOBAs in general because I have this like concentric circles theory, which is how you should learn one of these games in these ever-expanding circles uh, of awareness. Like, I think you should start the game being very concerned about you. What are you doing? What skills do you need to, to... What talents do you need to take? Or what items do you need to buy? Or whatever it is in that particular MOBA. Like, what what's your positioning in, re- in relation to everybody else? Like, if you're a, 
uh, a caster, you probably want to stay toward the back of the pack in a fight. You don't want to be up close because you're very squishy. Or if you're a tank, like where do you go? What do you have to do? What are the things you need to know? Then once you kind of have a handle on that, you expand the circle out a little bit and you go, okay, what is the map asking of me? What do I need to do on this map? Where should I be? Where are the things on this map that I need to be aware of? What, you know, where are the the creeps on this map or the mercs or whatever it is you need to do? Where are the towers? How, how does each map work? Because I finally, I've got my concentric circle and now I've moved out a little wider. Then after that, you go, okay, what are the other players doing? What are, you know, or no, I'm sorry, before that, it's what are, uh, what are my teammates doing? What do my teammates need? What, how can I be of service to my team? Rather than trying to worry about getting kills or getting objectives, how can I be working within the, the team we've established in the role I've chosen, whether that's a support role or a tank role or a damage role, and what does my particular character bring to that equation? How do I fit into the team? Now my my awareness circle has expanded to include everybody on my team. What are they doing? What what skills have they taken? What items have they bought? What are they now thinking and how can I be of assistance to them? If I'm a tank and I see my my mage in trouble, my job is to save them. My job isn't to run off and try to get a kill on my own. My job is to be protective. Uh, if I'm a healer, my job is to be aware of who I need to heal. My job is to, to understand that that particular character is going to dive in or that particular character is going to stay in the back or whatever it is. Understanding now that that circle has expanded to, to include what my other teammates are thinking. And then once I've gotten that concentric circle kind of down, I can move out and go, okay, what are my opponents doing? And that's the most, the trickiest one because now it's like, now I take into account what are their cooldowns? What are their, you know, what are their skill tree? What, what items have they purchased? Where are they on the map? What, what, is, what do I think they are thinking based on what I would be thinking if, if I was where they are? And so in that way, I think you sort of start small and understand yourself and slowly evolve to have a broader understanding of the game and you get better as you play. And the way you expand those concentric circles is repetition, is playing lots of games. So that's a good steal. I think it's very educational and I think that's the part that some gamers either don't understand or they don't want to put the time in. And with Paragon specifically you're seeing a lot of people who hear the name Epic and go, oh, I want to try something that Epic is making and have no idea about everything you just talked about. So when they're dropping into a match or selecting a hero, they don't know what it means to be like an AD carry. They don't know what it means to be a tank or right. you know, to be a jungler and what those roles mean and what your responsibilities are in those roles. You know, You see a lot of times... People just go for kills. I was playing a match last night. We were down 7 to 28. You know, like we were just feeding the other team. But we still won the match because the other team was so concerned with killing us that they didn't realize that we mm-hmm. pushed all the way on the far left lane and took down their inhib. And then my two carries had all, you know, all of their card points maxed out. I went in as the support and they took out the core. It, like, that's the thing. That there's an edu- right. exactly. and that's what makes those there's games an education so fun, level that you, know? you have like, to commit yeah. to if you really want to get the enjoyment out of the mobile genre. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think. Go ahead. Wait. 
what you were saying, Jeff, is, is an interesting thing for people that often play video games because of how the hobby evolved, right? Because you could easily map what you said to sport, you know, physical sport like basketball, too. It's a lot of the same stuff. Learn where you can shoot from. Are you a three-point person? Are you down in the paint? How do you play? Where, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How do you support your team? You know, are you Magic Johnson or are you taking up space down low so that Steph Curry can shoot from anywhere on the court, apparently? <laughs> um, but video games for years, despite coming Coming from, you know, maybe originating from to some extent, like a D&D where you are playing together and supporting each other or whatever. I think for most current gamers and modern gamers, gaming went to that wish fulfillment area where you were always the biggest, baddest dude or gal on the field at any given time, even sports games, right? You're the quarterback, then you're the wide receiver, you're the linebacker, then you're the safety. You're always the person doing the big play. You're every epic moment of World War II. You know, it's always, you're the most important. This wouldn't happen but for you. You need to kill everyone. You need to score every touchdown. And then MOBAs come in and adopt more of a soccer, basketball, or, you know, traditional sport style um mindset but we've been trained for so long that we are marcus phoenix and it's like uh what am i no no i'm gonna run in there and kill everything and then we're gonna win because i'm that awesome even uh multiplayer games were geared to you being awesome even capture the flag and team-based stuff that happened around quake and and doom and then uh unreal tournament it was still the biggest baddest dude with the rocket launcher is gonna win it for their team and you can't do that anymore so it's like taking a traditional sport mindset that we've had for years, <laughs> but relearning it to apply to this digital hobby that we've forgotten how to yeah. do that for so long, and they don't quite gel. Yeah, Stephen A. Rivers in the chat puts it really eloquently. He says, MOBAs make you play as the offensive lineman, which is true. Like, no <laughs> video game would make you play as the offensive lineman, right? <laughs> until uh, until uh, you have an actual team around you, and then it makes sense to be the guy who's sort of unsung, but essential. And I think that's 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 cool. Um. Anyway, uh, let's. Uh, I love that you're into Paragon. I, I I gotta try it. Maybe I'll have to play with you a little and and have you teach me the ropes. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the other games you mentioned. Uh, we'll just go in reverse order. So Doom, uh, Christian and I were raving about it last week. I I really dig that game. I I didn't know what to expect really. I wasn't sure that they could pull off this mix of of sort of old school game with a new school twist. But it, it it's great. The speed and intensity of the game I find to be very fun. Are you enjoying um, I it? I am. I, you know, like, I think I'm still waiting for that point in the game where I get over being kind of hesitant going into levels and instead I feel powerful enough and comfortable enough with my um, kind of arsenal of different weapons and all of the different mods that I have that I can just go in and just like feel like I'm a, a badass, you know, with a bunch of guns. Cause right now I'm still like figuring out some of the control mechanics and figuring out like when's the best time to use which mods on which enemies. So, um, and I'm, by the mm-hmm. way, not even pretending I'm playing it on the easiest difficulty possible. <laughs> I was like, I have nothing to prove yeah, to anybody. Fine. I mean, it's funny. It's, yeah, it's fine. I, we're big advocates of that here. Uh, Christian especially is is like, you know, have have fun is the biggest priority. Um, how, how did you start that by like a very positive comment and then you ended it by throwing shade my way? 
<laughs> no, no, I wasn't sure throwing shade your way at all. I, we, we, we like that. I mean, especially Christian. Oh, He's really no. into that baby stuff. But I like, didn't want to <laughs> steal it from you. That's all. I, you made a big deal um, about it last week, and I didn't want to steal I'm it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Christian is the is a baby. He can't, uh, can't handle adult games. No, not at all. Um, it's funny that Doom is exactly the opposite of what we were just talking about. Of like, <laughs> you are the center of all things in Doom. You are the, the you don't care about anything else. It's all you. Do it. Kill thousands of things, um, which is funny. But I, I think it's effective, man. I think that game is just rip roaring good time. I'm so impressed with that. What they managed to make uh, with that game. I think it's a love letter. Really you know, I think it looked at yeah everything you know they've done with doom as a franchise and said what do our hardcore fans who have been with us you know for decades want to see from the next doom and then they delivered i mean i'm interested to see you know who takes up snap map and what kinds of really creative and interesting things we're going to see come out of that i mean the doom community is very passionate but it's not nearly as big as it once was so i don't know the you know how active the pvp scene is going to remain beyond you know this initial initial launch window but i think it'll be interesting to watch yeah i I think you're right that that snap map is going to be huge over the next six to eight months i think people are going to blow our minds with what they're able to make um and and yeah you know never underestimate the power of finding secrets in a game (laughs) doom is showing us how fun that is it's uh, it's great fun uh uncharted 4 you're not quite done yet uh but Man, it, how great – Uncharted 4 is great. How, how great, great is Uncharted, Uncharted 4? 4? I mean, I think the thing that hits home the most for me is just the incredible storytelling between the relationships and the characters. You get that so rarely in video games these days. I mean, there's some really great narrative work that's happening, but being able to really capture the personalities of these characters, especially some of the characters who've you know been in the series the entire time and – see that the way that they interact with each other and the way that it was animated, like down to like the minute facial expressions is just so magical in a way that we just don't get very often. And Naughty Dog, of course, is the leader of the pack in. And so it's like, if nothing else, even if you have problems with the third person shooting mechanics or the way that the gunfights are kind of shooting gallery like, or the fact that Nathan Drake is really a mass murderer, you know, like it's, it's something to be seen. It's, it's, it's an experience not to be missed. 100% agree. Christian, we got a lot of uh, feedback about our discussion about Uncharted 4 last week. Um, did you want to say anything else? Well, my um, parting gift, I will, I will touch on it. A lot of people have given feedback about a, a topic that we discussed in the spoiler section. And so the very... Maybe it will be post episode, like whatever, while we're still on this call, though. I will I will mention that critique, but I it is a good one. I appreciate people bringing it up. I have an explanation for it, but I will do it at the end so as to not, you know, spoil anything for anyone that didn't listen to that part. Or I mean, like Andrea doesn't know that the world blows up at the end. So like that'd be a big world, (laughs) a big spoiler. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, looking forward to that. Christian, you got anything else on your on your playlist you want to talk about? Uh, no, I've been just been playing more Doom. If you want to see it, it's uh, on my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, also archived at the the YouTube, which I have a vanity URL for now, you guys. Yay. You really, you really made YouTube. it. You've really arrived. YouTube.com slash Christian Spicer 713, repping that H-town. Um, I, Doom is interesting because 
I don't want to get into the whole thing, but there's been a, a long classic gaff. I love you, gaff, but you have out, you, you, you raised your gaff head <laughs> again with the Polygon plays Doom, um, thread. That is what a crazy roller coaster that thread is, you guys. Um, I am a fan of playing games on easy. If I could go back in time and play Uncharted 4 on easy, I would have. I played it on normal or whatever they call it, uh, default. Um, Doom, I am playing on, again, normal, hardened, I think, whatever they call it, the middle one. <laughs> um, and I've died, the environment has killed me a few times where the platforming is not difficult in that game, but you you have like a ledge grab where it's, it's very generous, right? Like you're carrying a chainsaw and then you jump and all of a sudden like Doom Marine, like where's that chainsaw? I don't know. He's got two hands to pull himself up because <laughs> you got more killing to do. Um, so I've, I've died from the environment, not making jumps and stuff like that. I before. think it's cool that there but, is platforming at all in the game though. And it, and it kind of works like it. It's a fun element to keep. Well, I think in it the totally game. works. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, totally works and fits, you know, you're running and gunning and jumping and gunning and gunning and running and jumping and gunning like it's and I think it needs to be generous. I wouldn't want, you know, a Mario Maker level from hell (laughs) as I'm trying to navigate actual hell and doom like precision platforming isn't what that game needs. Um, But I don't know, maybe I'm four hours into doom. So, you know, maybe a third or whatever it ends up being for me. But I don't think the bad guys have killed me yet. And it's it's interesting. <laughs> they will. The, the, oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure I'm sure they will as things get bigger and badder. I've gotten close, but that's all I wanted to talk about. The game I mentioned it last week, but that pull push pull of run away, try to get an imp, you know, separated from the pack, like lure a sheep away from like the big. Oh gosh, what are those? Not giants. Oh, I forget their name already. Demons, they're, they're demons. Though. They're big demons. Yeah. There's big, the demons, big little demons, little demons, shooty demons, <laughs> flying demons. But like, lure the little demons away so that you can go up and get a glory kill and get that health back and know you still have the big demon left and how much gas do you have left in your chainsaw because you can get to that big demon with gas. Oh, but you used your chainsaw because you were just having fun mowing people down and then or, they throw up one more Or you thought that was going to be the big demon that you needed to save your chainsaw for, but, but there was like two other bigger demons that they didn't tell you were going to happen <laughs> and that was just, a, that was just a, a dummy big demon that was there to fool you into using your chainsaw up. Yeah, 100%. And so I think that push-pull of, like, run close, run away, run away, run away, run close, lure a guy away, lure a guy away, big demon spawn behind me um, is so satisfying. And I've had, like, two health or four health many a time, but I've been able to pull it off. And to me, those have been the most satisfying moments of playing where I'm like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm back in this. Well, the best part <laughs> then, of like, that is because I'm going to die, I'm going to die means I got to kill something, not I got to run right. away and cower. <laughs> It, 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 you know, in contrast to every other shooter out there, like I'm, I'm close to death means I better double down on <laughs> jumping into the fray, which is, it's pretty cool how they managed to make that work. Yeah. 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 So good. Uh, and I also need to tell you, Christian, that uh, uh, Joey from Colorado wrote in and he actually went back and listened to our E3 episode last year to, to find out uh, if you were right. And you were right. Uh, I, I, yes. I had erroneously implied that you uh, were negative on Doom last year, and you were not, so I apologize. Uh, you and I were both positive on it, and Zav D'Amatos, who was our guest. Uh, what? Zav? Negative on something? No. Well, thank you, Joey, for doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Anyway, but thanks to Joey from Colorado for going back and, uh, and holding us accountable, or holding me accountable, I should say. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, 
So I want to talk about VR, and uh, Andrew, you already said you, you wanted to burst my bubble, bubble. Did you already do that in just saying that you're, like, not sold on it, or did you have anything specific, a specific no, 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 bursting no, no. of bubble? Not, nothing specific, but I did put out a video with Ham Horton. Um, in case people that listen to your show don't know, I also host for Gamer Next Door, Playboy's Gamer Next Door. I host a show called G&D Weekly. She and I did a test of five Oculus launch titles and you guys can watch that video on our gamer next door youtube channel it's actually quite funny um but i have tried the vive i've tried oculus i've tried gear vr i've tried playstation vr so i'm like you i've tried tons of vr but i want to hear your thoughts and then i will give you mine well, I've been raving about my Vive for a while now, uh, since I got it. I, I, I adore it. Um, sometimes I just want to go to sleep with it and cuddle up with it. And You built a custom rig. I did. That's going to be my, uh, that's gonna be my, oh, sorry. my parting gift. I'll talk about that. But yeah, I did. I'm very proud of it. Uh, it just it's, it's the dream come true. Are there the kinds of experiences on it that I'm hoping for? Not yet. Yes. Uh, everything that's out right now for Vive is almost like a proof of concept of what we're in store for, but it's such a cool, interesting community right now. Like the, the Reddit for Vive is really vibrant and there's just this small group of people that are super passionate about it and there's new stuff coming out all the time and people are sort of homebrewing their own really cool things and it's really a fun community to be a part of. So I, I'm very high on Vive and I've talked at length about uh, a lot of games on Vive. I played a bunch more this week uh, that that are worth mentioning and talking about. Um, a game called Jibo Man that's ridiculous and fun where you're like on these rooftops and there's aliens coming at you and you can teleport to different pedestals and you're shooting with the with the controllers and you have a whole bunch of weapons that you can use and it, it's crazy. Um, there's like three more games that I wanted to talk about that I can't remember what they are right now. Uh, Legend of Luca, I don't think I've talked about, which is like the Vive's first um, roguelike, where you're going into different rooms of an ever-expanding and procedurally generated map, uh, and sometimes there's monsters in there, sometimes there's treasure, sometimes there's bosses, and you have to kind of wander through this map and, and kill things by you know shooting at them with your your magic or your sword or whatever. And the cool thing is every time you beat a boss, you get a new weapon from that boss, which is super cool. And it's all, you know, you're doing it. Okay. So all that, I, I love the vibe. Finally got my Oculus this week. And despite the fact that a, I ordered my Oculus before my vibe, like weeks before my vibe and B, I was like 12 minutes into the Oculus is on sale. I got my order in. It still was months later. Anyway, so that was annoying. But I got it. A beautiful packaging. It's fun to unbox. It's got a cool setup thing. It's, it's, it's such a neat experience to unwrap it. Physically, uh, I'm very impressed with it. It's much lighter than the Vive is. It's very comfortable. I think it's easier to put on and take off than the Vive is. Not as easy to put on and take off as the PlayStation VR helmet. Um, but still very easy to put on. I wear it with glasses and I find it to be very easy to wear with glasses. I don't have any problems there. The built in earphones are like uh, a godsend. I so wish the Vive had built in earphones. It's such a pain. Christian, you can probably speak to this too, having been over here. It's such a pain, like putting the headset on and then putting the earphones on over the headset with the Vive, having those built in earphones like on there elegantly integrated into the entire system it's such a huge benefit. Um, 
and it does feel and they're good and they're good i've heard they were good but not from anyone i know personally like the headphones because the the cans you have they're, with the vibe are nice and i said it can that's the yeah. word i would use to describe the ear the earpieces on the on the oculus i would never i would never call them good well i think you probably have a, a point there andrea but i i'm I personally would prioritize comfortable over what? audio really? quality. The whole but point of still, VR is to be immersed still, in an experience. You can put some awesome, and you'd be okay with just an app. But you like are still okay with earbuds, like. But can't you change the headphones? Can't you, you use can. second? You can just you can third party headphones. You can totally use third party headphones if you so choose. But my, I take uh, comfortable ease of use integration. And it's not bad. Like you, like you said, it's good. It's not great. It's not, you know, this amazing sound, but it's also good enough that it doesn't, it doesn't distract from the experience. It doesn't make it bad. I, I, I think that it hits the right sweet spot for me of being good enough to be usable and, you know, immersive, but also, yeah, but also has like the benefit of being real comfortable and just easy. It's just easy. It's great. So so many smart little things where you can like fold them out as you put it on and fold them back on. It's it's really cool. Uh, it does have the problem that the Vive does not have, which is uh, around your nose. You, there's definitely a lot of of sunlight coming in uh, or room light. It's got a lot of huh. uh, room. No matter, and I've see, heard this from a lot of people. I'm an Italian guy. I got myself a schnoz. You know, it's not a it's not a tiny little button nose here. Um, but there's still a fair amount of light that, that creeps in on the bottom, which is a bummer, uh, because, you know, you want that completely sealed experience where you're not seeing any of the room light. It's, you can willfully ignore it and it's not that big of a deal, but it's there and it's not there with the Vive. So that was a, a knock against it. The biggest thing though, for me is that having experienced the Vive it's so clear to me that room scale is where it's at and putting on a headset in front of your computer with a controller in your hand is easy and comfortable and much less crap to deal with, much less mishigas and, you know, fiddling with things and getting tangled and all that stuff that the vibe makes you do. But all that stuff that the vibe makes you do is worth it when you get inside a place and you can walk around in it and physically manipulate things. That's the dream. And Sitting at a computer with the headset on, being in a place is cool, but it feels like a massive step backwards after room scale. Room scale is where it's at. And when the touch controllers are released, we'll be able to have a more one-to-one comparison of these two things. Have they said, I'm sorry, have they mentioned when, like, given a date or a price for those yet? No, 2016, they're saying it's going to be a fall thing. I'm sure we'll hear more at E3, uh, but yeah, we don't know exactly when that'll be. But, you know, I'm, I'm very anxious for that because they say they're going to release a whole bunch of new games that are sort of a second launch of, of Oculus for Touch. Uh, and that's the, that, those are the games we want. Like, I don't know, Andrea, you, you tell me that you were very unimpressed, but I can't imagine anybody trying Lucky's Tale and not being completely blown Funny away. you mentioned Lucky's Tale. It's the first game I play in my Oculus video. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I think... Here's the thing. I, <laughs> yeah, tell me the thing. <laughs> That's going to be my ringtone from now on. That Here's the Vive, thing. <laughs> HTC Vive, is right now the definitive virtual reality experience. There's nobody doing it better right now. Uh, granted, there's only really three experiences right. available, but I think they have the 
top performer. I think everything I've played in Vive um, just blows its competition out of the water. I agree that these, you know, room VR experiences are really what the future of VR looks like. That said, it's an experience that not a lot of people, I think, are going to be able to uh, bring home. Not only do they not have the space uh, to set everything up with the, you know, the uh, light stations and so on, but it's also a very expensive experience. Oculus is a little bit more approachable. Um, I just find the headset to be so uncomfortable after, yeah, after about really? 20 minutes inside VR, um, it starts to be uncomfortable for me. And maybe it's because I have a, a particularly small head that I have to really tighten the headset on in order for it to stay in focus because it's constantly falling on my uh, down the bridge of my nose. So in order for me to get the um, lenses to line up in a way that it, the text and everything I'm looking at on screen is completely in focus, I'm, I have to tighten it. I have to really tighten it on my head, which that those kinds of mm-hmm. physical discomforts really bring you out of the experience and break the immersion of whatever you're doing, especially if you have to constantly readjust it through the experience. I don't have to ever constantly adjust my television when I'm playing a console game or, or if I'm playing a PC <laughs> game, you know, the, what I see is what I see. Um, Lucky's Tale was one of the few games that instantly gave me motion sickness in VR, which I found to be really surprising because I've done dozens uh-huh. of these demos on all different platforms uh, in varying states of the tech, like from when it was just prototypes to different you know, levels of the prototype. And I was surprised about Lucky's Tale. The first thing I say in my video is like, it reminds me of being inside Mario 64, which is, you know, kind of a unique cartoon experience, but it's just, I don't, I'm still waiting for something to show me why I need to play this in VR, why I couldn't play this 2D and still get as much enjoyment out of it. Well, you say inside Mario 64, and that's a sentence that can go by, and, and you go, oh, that makes sense. That sounds cool. I don't think that conveys it well enough for me. It's accurate, and I think it's a, it's, it conjures a good image, but it's not evocative enough to express the experience. Because especially coming from, from Vive, where uh, so much of it is room scale, so it's, it's creating situations where you are the same size you are, and you are walking around vast environments or confined environments or whatever, but you're you for the most part. And the the sort of magic of the VR is to take what is a small space in your real life and make it a giant space or a vast, you know, you're, you're flying around in a spaceship or you're, you know, inside a cave or whatever it is, transforming your environment into a new environment. And that's sort of, you know, the, the magic of VR up to this point for me. But what I didn't realize until I played Lucky's Tale is that as much as it is magical to create bigger spaces in your world with VR, it's equally as magical to create smaller spaces in VR. The fact that my head, like the very first moment of Lucky's Tale, when your head is inside Lucky's bedroom and it's this like incredibly vivid diorama world that you're just sitting in and you can look around in and it's tiny, it's right in front of you, it's super close to to your to where you're sitting. You didn't find that to be absolutely magical? No. 
I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, Jeff, we know that you're drinking the VR Kool-Aid. This is a phrase I say a lot. Like, I just, I'm just not there yet. I have seen some things that do reach out to me and speak to me and, and think that VR is worth it. Like, I did uh, a demo. Have you done, have you seen V-Real? So it's a, it's a no. software that's going to allow streamers to stream in VR. Um, not exactly like what Will Smith is doing with his company, but something kind of similar right. where you can be in this virtual world and a couple of your friends who are in VR headsets um, in different parts of the world or the country or just a different part of your house can join you in this like virtual lobby and you have avatars and the the mouth, like the animation moves with your voice and it it's so well done and you can gesture with your hands, with the Vive controllers. And that, to me, is a magical VR experience. The idea that you're in a virtual world with your avatar, being able to talk and move your hands as if you're actually having a conversation with somebody in real life. That's the kind of stuff that I think is exciting yeah. about VR. Like, just the idea of a, a, a game that's just all around you is such an unnatural experience. As I said, like... The biggest thing for me when I play VR games is that I feel like I have to constantly tell myself to look around and look behind me because it's such an unnatural way to play because we're used to just staring straight ahead. Like how often do you play a game and think, oh, I should look over my shoulder? You don't. <laughs> but because you can now. That's the, I don't know. I, I, I don't spend a lot of time looking around behind me, but when I do, it's this incredible feeling of of presence. And, and I know it's a, that's a buzzword that they use a lot too, but the thing that Lucky's Tale impressed upon me is, is this feeling that this thing that I've always looked at on a 2d plane, even if it was a 3d world, never felt real, never felt like I could reach out and touch it. And that first moment in, in that world, when it's sort of giving you the little cutscene to establish the universe and I can lean forward and look out Lucky's window and you know, I can't, see out Lucky's window from where I start sitting, but if I lean forward, I can look out his window and see what's going on outside his window and look around the corner and see through the doorway and see the world that lies outside. And it's this like little clay world, little diorama universe that I'm this giant head in. It's it's like I got to go and see um, Wallace and Gromit in real life and like peer down at the models and, and then they were walking around and then I got to control them with my controller. It's it's that magical to me. Um, and I, and I, go I, ahead, Christian. Sorry. I think the thing with this, and I'm, I've been sitting here trying to think of an analogy and the closest one I can get to is like music, like a big audio file is like, you know, you can't be listening to that on an iPhone with earbuds. You got to get this awesome system and you know, this Macintosh receiver and you know, these great headphones and or whatever, because what I'm hearing aside from the motion, most motion sickness from Andrea is it's just, it didn't do it for her. And, and you're like, Jeff, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, it does it. And Andrea's like, it doesn't do it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does it. <laughs> and I feel like, to some extent, I know, you know, Garnet and Jeff and probably myself too, we, we got on Andrea's case back in the Week in Confirm days where I forget what, you know, she came back from some preview event. It was probably Mass Effect or Assassin's Creed because she loves those games. And it was one of those games, and Andrea had just gotten back from like a demo or whatever, and was high as a kite on this game. And it's like, this is the most amazing thing. And Garnet was like, you're just saying the buzzwords the PR people told you. And Andrea was like, yeah, 
because it's real. And everybody, you know, we all had a laugh at that at Andrea's expense. And she was in on the joke and we were like, you bought in. And she's like, oh, yeah, I bought in. And now, Jeff, you've bought in. You're regurgitating the buzzwords and you're like, yeah, I know it's the buzzwords, but it's the most immersive (laughs) buzzword of the buzzwords. And like at the end of the day, is it maybe okay that Andrea doesn't like it? Like, is this the type of thing that we can just come down to at the end? And Jeff, would you be willing to admit VR, not for everyone? Or is this for everyone? And you are going to be the guy that comes down with the Ten Commandments of VR (laughs) from the mountain. Uh, I will say this. I I think it's fair to say it's not for everyone. I certainly, and Andrea is very much entitled to her opinion. And, and, you know, (laughs) I'm not trying to convince her otherwise. And yet, I will also say, I think there's a certain amount of buggy whip salesmen going on, which is like, it's only a matter of time before nobody's riding in buggy whips anymore and we're all in cars. That's all I'm saying. VR is never going to be cars. Like you are, no, it's not. It's not. It's never going to be because you're, you're, never, never such a long time. I, I mean, I appreciate your enthusiasm. You know me. I also love loving things and I love that you love this and I'm not saying it's bad. I think that it's just early. I think it's like 3d. I think some people, really loved 3D and still really love 3D. And some people prefer to watch movies in 2D. They just don't like 3D. It doesn't enhance the experience. It doesn't make it better for them. It doesn't provide something that they're searching for. And I think that VR is like that. I think some people think it's the bee's knees and you're never going to find a cooler, more magical experience. I just don't think the tech is at a point yet where it's going to be, one, approachable for the mass majority of people out there from a financial perspective. But, but also, that's a different argument. But also it's just I mean, that's a different that's a different. That I don't I, crave. I don't crave putting on this heavy headset and wearing this apparatus and having to, you know, be, you know, really shut out from the outside world for long periods of time. That's just not an experience that I want. Okay, fair enough. But... When you're playing Uncharted 4, is there no part of you that wishes that you were actually in that space with with Nate and all the other people? Like that you could turn to your left and turn to your right and look behind you and look around and, and not have to look at that beautiful, gorgeous world through the 2D window that's sitting on your, on your you know, uh, entertainment center. But you could actually sort of be inside it with them and look around the corner and when they're, you know, when they're climbing things, look up and look down. That's what I want. I, I mean, no, I just don't. I just don't. I just don't. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it's it's sad that this will be the last time we're ever on this show. Oh, come Andrew. on, no. no I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We love you. No, I I love the I love being challenged on on this point, and Christian challenges me on it a lot as well. And it, it is one of those things that I have such a hard time understanding how people aren't aren't dazzled by it. But it, but it's the case that there are a significant significant number of people that aren't, and and that's and that's fair. So uh, I I, well, I think. St- it- in the chat, Stephen A. River says, you know, put your phone into X and get a tour of the Louvre will be ubiquitous in three to five years. But everyone owning an Oculus or a Vive, I don't know. And I, well, and I, I think, think that's fair, too. You know, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for specifically for these companies, but go ahead. No, yeah. So, I mean, I think VR is the future. You know, a common accepted future is is, is different than 
you know, intense VR gaming. Like, I think we might all own a device that can do it. And we might even all own headsets that we can snap a phone into, whether or not we use them. I I don't know, but I think it will be a thing that exists everywhere. And then whether or not people crave that experience, time will tell. Part of me thinks like, yeah, it's incredible when you're in there. But then part of me thinks, man, uh, I hope people still go to the Louvre because I'd rather sit at a table with it's the old timer right it's 35 year old man like i'd rather sit at a table and play a tabletop game than put on a headset and be like it's like we're really playing a game uh it'll it'll be interesting yeah well um all of that is to say you're probably going to hear me talk a lot more about vr because now i have both headsets it is a bit of a bummer that oculus shut down the the hack that somebody had had put out called revive that allowed you to play the oculus exclusive games on the vive they shut that down this week, much to the consternation of a lot of people who are enjoying those games on the on the Vive headset. Um, and and I know that I am on record as saying that I would have chosen Oculus over Vive, but I I think right now at this moment, for me, the excitement rely uh, resides entirely on the Vive. Like what Vive provides to me is the most exciting thing. And yes, it requires space to do it. Yes, it requires um, a more expensive investment. But setting all that stuff aside, uh, the, the experience it provides is, I think, magic. And um, Oculus is just less magic. It's still magic. but it's And, and when the Touch is launched, maybe it will be uh, better at that point, and, and maybe there'll be more. I mean, we're at this point, really, where it's much like PlayStation versus uh, Xbox, where you're going to have these exclusive experiences on one or the other. So um, I don't know if that's going to help or hurt the situation. We'll see. Um, I know we went, went long on that and I'm sure it's much to the consternation of a lot of people that don't want to hear about VR, but I appreciate the conversation. I really, really do. I do want to read this email that was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, especially because Andrea's here and I think there's nobody better to address this head on than she. Uh, this was sent to us from Taylin Kale. Uh, thanks for the email, Taylin. Uh, she writes, hey fellas and esteemed guest. I've been listening to the show for a few months and absolutely love it, especially the tabletop section. I picked up six nymphed and constantly play it with friends, but we are entirely unsure of how to pronounce it. It's pronounced six nymphed. Uh, we call it bullhead instead. I also tried out the Greek yogurt and brown sugar with strawberries, and it was fantastic. Awesome. Everybody that doesn't stick around for, for our parting gifts, you should. Uh, I listen to a lot of different video game podcasts, but DLC definitely has the most diverse amount of content. Um, I really enjoy the conversation surrounding Ali's story of the week about online competitive games. I have always loved multiplayer elements of games and have been playing a lot of them lately. The Division, Overwatch Beta, etc. As much as I enjoy these kinds of games, my problem is twofold. Firstly, I'm not very good at them. I'm normally pretty good at playing against bots, but once I play against actual human beings, I don't hold up very well skill-wise. This leads to frustrations from my teammates who make sure to let me know that I'm bringing the team down. The second part of the problem is that I'm a young lady, and while overall gamers have come a long way when it comes to accepting ladies in gaming, there will always be a-holes who go out of their way to make a big deal out of it. I can't help but feel that as a female... I have to prove myself to other players, and I can't always hold my own. Is there any good way to deal with people like this? I just want to have fun with a game I'm bad at without having to feel bad and apologize for sucking. Taylin, uh, we feel you. Um, Andrea, you want to Sure. Taylin, I know exactly how you feel, first of all, being a female gamer, and also 
being the person that sucks on the PVT team most of the time. Like, <laughs> I can feel that. I can relate to that one too. Not being a male um, gamer, even. And oh, I think there's, you know, so there's a couple different answers here. I think first, you need to remember that any um, competitive PvP game requires practice, lots and lots and lots of practice. And the people that are good are good because they play a lot. And this is what makes playing in online competitive games really intimidating for people who don't have time to sink in to the games as some of the people they're playing with. And if you only ever play against bots, you're never going to get up to the level where you're going to feel comfortable playing against other people. So I really encourage you to kind of stick it out and keep playing against people, even if you suck. Because you know what? We all suck in the beginning. Nobody walks into a game being a master of that game. They get there, you know, through lots of practice. And when it comes to being a female in chat, I 100% feel you on that, which is why I almost never chat. I almost always play with people that I know. And if I am playing online by myself, I never turn my microphone on. I actually had a conversation with another female gamer friend of mine who has a female name as her gamer tag. And my gamer tag is Big Red, so it's very like agnostic. I, I could be a dude, I could be a girl. Most people, actually 99% of people, assume that I'm a dude because whenever they talk to me in text chat, they always call me like a bro or a guy or whatever, which I'm fine with. They can assume that I'm a man if they want to. Um, it makes things easier for me. So it's you definitely have to prove yourself, but I would never say that that's just because you're a female. I have seen people harass me in games when they assume I'm a guy because I'm sucking. So I think if you're the person who's got low scores on your team, you're going to get harassment no matter what. But I would encourage you to just stick with it. And if you find a game that you really like, try to find a group of people who will play with you. Um, you know, there's a lot of... Um, LFG groups depending on you know which game you're playing and maybe try to convince some of your friends who you play with on a regular basis to play the game that you're playing and really kind of find a community to embrace what you love and once you find people that you can play with on a regular basis it will make that experience that much more enjoyable for you and you'll want to play more and the more you play the better you'll get. I think that's excellent advice. In fact, I'd like to double down on that and say that I hope that if there are like-minded gamers that are listening to this right now, that you guys start uh, in our subreddit at uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com a, a group of people that might want to organize into a community that would be friendly and welcoming and can all suck together for a while and all improve their skills over time together for a while because, uh, you know, Failing that, there are lots of lots of communities to be found. I hope we can we can garner one on our site on our subreddit that uh, is welcoming and positive. Uh, but there are lots of them. And Gamers with Jobs is a great place to go that finds that has really great people. But there are these wonderful little nooks and crannies all over the web of good people that you can you can you know be a part of that aren't going to treat you poorly and are going to be understanding that you're not so great. I'm certainly that guy. I'm not so great at first-person shooter multiplayer games. Uh, I understand that I'm almost always at the bottom of the leaderboards when I'm playing those games. Uh, and it's tough. It's, it's hard. It's hard when people get upset at you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, finding the right people to play with and also finding the games. I, I feel like Overwatch does a particularly good job 
of giving you roles to play that aren't necessarily requiring to be the best sniper or whatever, or have those, those sweet executable kills. And I think Overwatch also does a great job in not highlighting who's bad on a team. Like the way it presents stats at the end of a, a match, I hope catches on more with a lot of these games so that it's all about rewarding people who do great instead of highlighting the people that do poorly. So um, I appreciate you writing in and it's a, it's a tough problem, but I hope you st- stick at it. And like Andrea said, you'll just get better over time. Very cool. Um, all right, guys, uh, let's move on. I-, I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, super fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed servants, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. Not only that, it starts at only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 users trust Linode, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode, and getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. All you got to do is visit linode.com slash 5x5 today. You'll support this show and the network by using promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. 5 by 5 that is. Simple, powerful, reliable, linode.com. L-I-N-O-D-E.com. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time, tabletop time. Right now, right now. Hey, uh, Andrea. You've been playing uh, more Exploding Kittens. Last time you were here, I think you had just tried uh, Exploding Kittens for the first time. Uh, it's it's sticking around in, in one that you... Yeah, what's great to. about it is that it's portable, first and foremost. So I take it, you know, if I'm going to a friend's house or if we're doing something like even like in a park or like if we're going to be doing like drinks somewhere. Like it's just one of those games that you can... Just like pick it up and take it with you because the decks are pretty small. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. a game that you can explain really easily. I mean, as a, you know, veteran tabletop guy, you know that tabletop uh, directions can get extremely complicated. And sometimes you'll spend an hour just figuring out how to play. Not so with Exploding Kittens. It's very easy to pick up. Um, it's very easy, um, you know, to drop people in. What's fun about that game is that, you know, there are some deeper levels of strategy, and you can add on some advanced rules and things like that for people who already know how to play, which is which keeps it fun and keeps it exciting. So, um, yeah, I just really enjoy that game. Very cool. I still haven't had a chance to play it, but I've I've heard good things. Um... It doesn't. I, I know Cards Against Humanity. I think people feel like once you've heard the jokes a few times, it it doesn't really hold up because oh yeah, I know that card. It was funny the first few times, but now you know I need more expansions in order to keep it being funny. Uh, does Exploding Kittens have that issue? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think that it's different with everybody you play. I think you learn things about your friends based off the way that they play cards and you know who they um, try to you know, screw over in the game. Um, 
it's also like a, right. it's a much simpler game. And a game like Cards Against Humanity is so dependent on the mindset and the types of humor and the mood you're in that particular day. Um, you know, that can completely right. change, you know, the way that those games go down. But um, I don't think so. I think you, Exploding Kittens is also a game that's safe to play with everybody. I mean, they have a, 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 they have a <laughs> not safe for work deck that you can get that is a little bit more risque. Um, but they also have a, a deck that's just, you know, playing good fun that anybody could play. That's good. I've definitely been in the situation where the Cards Against Humanity deck came out and then somebody's grandma's like, I want to play the game with with all the fun no, people. Grandma. And it's like, um, <laughs> are you sure? I don't think it's a good idea. I don't want to be the person who has to explain what the, yeah, the exactly. card means. Um, it can be a great idea, though. I played with a group of friends and uh, <clears throat> a mother-in-law of a friend was like, I want to play. And uh, not only did she play, she won uh, and won and won and won. And her and her husband... Uh, are very happy with one another. You know what oh, I mean? Like they have right. a, a wonderful relationship. <laughs> well, definitely you can discover things. That's for sure. Playing Cards Against Humanity can discover things about your... You know what that is? Okay. You're, you're cool with that? All right. Um, <laughs> uh, Christian and I played a game that I've been very excited about. I, I bought it um, because I'd heard good things about it, and I was very excited to play it. Uh, it's called Flick 'Em Up. This is a Western-themed game. That has very chunky wooden pieces, and the way you do everything in the game is by flicking those wooden pieces across your playing surface. So basically the idea is you have these 3D meeples, you know, in in the board gaming circles we call anything that looks like a person or an animal a meeple. Uh, So you have these 3D meeples that you set up, and a fully three-dimensional cardboard little uh, western town that you erect that has little stands and the game you know you pop it out of the cardboard and you are, set it all up and it's all three dimensional and standing so you have this cool little uh, western town with a, a bank and a saloon and a clock tower and all kinds of cool stuff and you have a book of scenarios that tell you different objectives for different scenarios you select one of those and you set up the town and the the way the map of that scenario is supposed to work you've got little cactuses and you've got little uh barrels and you've got dynamite and fences and all kinds of stuff you've got this little fun little diorama world in front of you you know your western town and then you have two teams and you can play up to i think you can play up to eight people uh you have two teams and you have a each team has five little cowboys uh, and you have shootouts and you do have to try to accomplish certain things based on the scenario. So sometimes there's a bank robbery or a, uh, you know, you're hijacking a thing or whatever it is. Uh, we played the first scenario, which was just a full-on death match, which is just like a, a showdown at the OK Corral type you know, shootout in the, in the desert. And you have, each have five guys and whichever team murders the other team first wins. Uh, but the way you play is to move your character – You take a little token, a little disc made out of wood, and you flick it across the table. And where it ends up is where your character moved to. If it hits anything along the way, whoops, that cancels out the movement. So you have to be very precise with your flicking to make sure you go where you want to go and you don't bounce off a cactus or something along the way because that invalidates your move. Then once you're there, you got pistols and rifles and all kinds of stuff outfitting your characters – uh, and you can shoot at the other players, and the way you do that is you get a different little disc that's a little smaller that represents the bullet, and you flick that, and if you whack 
another character's meeple and knock it over, then that means you hit them with a bullet and they have a certain amount of health that goes down each time you whack them. So it's very physical. It's actually a, a, a dexterity game where you're you know physically flicking th- stuff and moving it across the table. I found it wildly fun. What did you think, Christian? Yeah, and I think just uh, it's called what yep. flick 'em up is the name of the game again. Um, you are technically flicking the thing, but I think you can also think of it like shuffleboard. Like these pieces aren't getting airborne, right? You know, the, the intent isn't like uh, you know like the little paper football when you're flicking that. It's like you're flicking, but you know, like picture shuffleboard, it's sliding across the the play surface. Um, I wish I filmed it only because there were a couple of epic moments. Um, the teams were it was you and Zav and me and Rob Crackle, who's been on this show before. And um, one, Rob has amazing ears as a sound engineer, sound designer, but that dude can flick. He's a savant. He's a flicking savant. It's I've never seen his. He's like, you know, the pinball wizard from the Who song. Yeah, he's that. But for (laughs) flicking stone cold killer, like across across. You have a very big dining room table. And Rob was like, oh, yeah, but he wouldn't. You know, the rest of us would like aim and and hesitate yeah. and look and like think about how hard we were going to flick and you know breathe and let it you know let it happen rob would just walk up and flick and it would all, always hit its mark perfectly and he wouldn't even think about it it was amazing yeah he he was a stone cold killer and then but there were some really fun uh i think it was i was shooting at one of like your zav's guys and or someone like the guy like spun like literally it was like a western like a spaghetti western the little meeple guy like spun around three times but didn't fall over and it yeah, was just, just like son of a- it just winged him it was merely a flesh wound yeah and you have some great moments of like when your guys are down you can kind of use them as meat shields and try to like you know, because you can reactivate them next round, and then you can like try to move your guy to get under cover, but you're still able to shoot and flank. Like, I think this is a game that would appeal to the traditional video game player because it's that same kind of stuff that you learn in a Gears of War, where you're flanking, taking cover, and flicking, and it, it's tactile and real, and also watch your eyes when uh, Zav's first one to flick because yeah. that thing went. He's flying. a hockey fan, so he doesn't know how to flick things softly. He's uh, he's slapping <laughs> that puck, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Anyway, it's a lot of fun. I, I loved it. I, did you did you have a good time? Yeah, it was great. It was it was a lot it was a lot of fun. I mean, I think anytime I'm on <laughs> Rob's team, I'll have fun. <laughs> but like, the, you, would you see yourself playing more of this? I mean, I feel like it's a it's a board game that actually has strategy, but it's also dexterity based. You're doing a physical thing. It's very unlike anything most people have played on a table. I would say it's more it's more along the lines of hungry hungry hippos than it is you know uh, Monopoly. Oh, yeah. I mean, when the only thing that would prevent me from owning this game right now is that I have a three and a half year old and a one year old like this game consists when you were setting it up. I was like, oh, I would call this game chokeables. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Cool. All right. Well, we're running long, I know, but I do want to read this email because I I found it delightful and I think it's a a cool cool inspiration. I I put it in tabletop time because he talks a little bit about that. But let's yeah, this is an email sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com by Charlie B., uh, he says, hey, guys, I've been listening to uh, Jeff since 2012, and this is the first time I've ever wrote, written in. I got two things I want to mention. I was just listening to you guys talk about Star Wars Imperial Assault last week. Thought I'd write in. I've had the game for six to eight months, and I have almost all the expansions, and I've never played it. The reason is because after opening the base game box and seeing all the beautiful minis inside, I couldn't not learn how to paint them. Between painting supplies and minis, I have probably spent over $400 on this game. My friends 
mess with me and are constantly asking when we get to play, but I just can't bring myself to play until I've finished the set. All this being said, it's some of the best money in gaming I've ever spent. I have never been a painter, but with some very well-done guides on YouTube, I've gotten quite good and enjoy the painting immensely. The time I have spent painting the minis was by far worth the stupid amounts of money I've spent. And he attached some pictures that are really, really cool. Uh, Try something new. You never know what you might be good at. Try painting. It's cool. The second thing I want to talk about is your Geeks in Sneaks program which I don't know if we can call it a program. I'd like to call it a program, but it's a little generous to call it a program. He says, your program has powered me through many a workout, but I'd like to share a success story to make the gamers out there consider more non-traditional sports. About two years ago, I was the heaviest I've ever been at 220 pounds. A coworker managed to convince me to come rock climbing with him, and I was instantly hooked. Yeah, half a year later, uh, excuse me, a year and a half later, I weighed 155 pounds, and I already won a beginner rock climbing competition. The lighter I was, the easier climbing was, so that was really the motivator to eat right and do the cardio I so desperately needed. I don't run, though. Running is for dicks. I think climbing appeals to the gamer side of me because each harder route is like the new level, and I get the, feeling, uh, I get the same feeling from competing a new climb that I've been working on for months Uh, than I do in a video game. My whole point is that I'd like to get the geeks and sneaks out there to try sports they might not normally think of. I'm not a geek in sneaks. I'm a geek in climbing shoes. Pretty cool. Thanks, Charlie B., for writing in. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, Very, very cool. And uh, Simon West uh, 80 in the chat says that he should probably look into Warhammer because that's all about painting. Uh, And I can second that. I know how that goes. Uh, But that's super cool, man. So Geeks and Sneaks, man, high five. Very, very cool. Also, though, Jeff, um, leave your running hate to your other podcast. You know what I mean? This is a running hate free zone. I, I, and I know. Until, That's a listener, not me. Until Carboni gets in here with his, his hate and his vomit. Well, this, is a, this is a happy running I place, agree. you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm running positive. It's, the, it's that Carboni who sells shirts that say the opposite. I'm not really a fan it of is running a good shirt. either, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But Andrew, have you tried it in VR? No, you don't I haven't. But did you guys see that biking <laughs> VR thing? Oh my god! Do you want to talk about nausea? <laughs> oh my god! I did that. I did that at uh, E3 last year, and they had it set up with this like you ride a horse, and the faster you pedal, your horse sprouts wings, <laughs> and you can fly. And as soon as that horse took off, I was like, barf! It was it was awful. Yeah, but hopefully they've improved it. Um. Anyway. That's going to wrap up this episode. We do have bonus content coming at you, more VR talk, but it's really interesting. We talk about a lot of the issues uh, that you know that we mentioned in the show, and uh, this is a, a small developer that's making a very, very cool game. Um, so you definitely want to stick around for that. But Andrea Renee, always, always, always one of my favorite episodes when you're on. So thank you so much for, for taking part in our uh, little weekend recording. I appreciate you st- Thank you for having me, and hopefully our disagreement about VR won't make you want to unfriend me. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll unfriend you on all my VR (laughs) apps, but uh, my real life apps are still buddies. (laughs) Uh, Where can people keep up with you? uh, And Uh, The best way to find me is on Twitter. You can follow me at Andrea Renee, just one E on that Renee. 
Um, so that's the, where I post links to what I'm doing with Playboy or with Yahoo Esports or uh, if I'm doing stuff with GameStop, you know, and I'm going to be working with some very exciting partners for E3, which I can't announce yet, but um, follow me uh, at Andrea Renan on Twitter to find out what I'm up to. Very, very cool. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Recovering? I don't know. Uh, I'll be at the Comedy Store on Tuesday, the 31st, closing the month out with a fun show with uh, a friend. We went to undergrad together, and so it's, he's an amazing comedian as well, Omar Nava. So it'll be a, a great show if you're in L.A. And then a quick thank you. I was in Salt Lake, um, just got very early, very tired right now. Um, and I appreciate it. But there it. was thank at least a... I appreciate it. Yeah, happy, happy it could work out. There was at least a listener at every show I did while I was in Salt Lake and the surrounding areas. And it was really cool to meet people and say hi. And some of the shows were well attended and some weren't. And, uh, you know, it's fine. I had a great time. I think audiences did too. So if you ever do come to a show, you know, please come up afterwards and say hello. And then the biggest thing that isn't this week, it came out last week, but if you haven't seen it, I would love if you checked it out. Uh, I wrote and created a little web series called Marriage Is. It is four short um, comedic scenes or sketches kind of about marriage. You can find them at my YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash Christian Spicer 713. You should watch those. The main sp- actor in that is really good. <laughs> He's a dreamboat. It is Mr. Jeff Kanata. There are Me? cameos from running dick Anthony Carboni. Oh, yeah. He's in um, that too. Total being, he's being a total Brad running Gage, dick in that, Michael. In that show. <laughs> Michael Glazer and then Chris Quintos is the female lead she's the one I do my parenting podcast with Department of Parenting if you haven't checked that out give it a listen but um, the reaction to marriages people seem to dig them if you like them um, it'd mean the world to me if you checked it out put you know a lot of time and heart into making them happen and I think they look uh, Guys, look incredible so I, hopefully I'm you love them you, it was such a delight to be able to be a part of this thing I was so honored that Krishna let me let me be in it because uh, they're so well written they're really, really funny. If you've ever been in a relationship or a marriage or known anybody that's in a relationship or a marriage, you will relate to these. Uh, they're really funny. Christian wrote them. Uh, some of them are quite quite off color. Others, not so much. But it's all of them are universally <laughs> hilarious. And uh, Your fantasy has some vulgarness. The one called Your Fantasy is vulgar. The others are clean. I'd recommend starting with the one called Venting. Yeah. That is a good jumping off point. But, uh, these, you know, I think the fantasy shorts. one is the one the most gamers will relate to uh, because it's uh, it's all about yes. gaming. But uh, really fun, and I'm proud to be a part of it. So, uh, yeah, check them out on Christian's YouTube page or, you know, we're on Twitter. We're tweeting them out too. So, uh, Marriage Is, which, by the way, terrible SEO on that, Christian, because if you type Marriage Is into Google, God knows what comes up. The so, best? Is that what comes up? Good work on the <laughs> SEO. Um, You're welcome. I've got several other shows for you guys to check out. You can always watch uh, me on CNET on Tomorrow Daily by going to tomorrowdaily.com. Uh, you can also listen to me talk about movies and TV on the Slash Filmcast. That's at slashfilmcast.com. We just recorded our episode about nice guys, so uh, that'll be hitting this week. Um, also, uh, I do. we have concerns with a certain running <laughs> dick that has been named. Uh, check that out at wehaveconcerns.com, and you can also always follow me at Jeff Kanata on Twitter. All right, guys, uh, let's get to the parting gift, shall we? Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. 
All right, Andrea, do you have a, a recommendation of something that might not be a video game to get people? Yes, to their- I do actually. So I actually recently just got uh, gifted as part of a pre-wedding gift from John's uh, mother's book club a bunch of cookbooks, and it we specifically requested healthy cookbooks and. One of my favorite cookbooks um, is called The Thug Kitchen Cookbook. Have you guys heard of this? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's great. It's all vegetarian, which normally as a, a meat lover such as myself, I would never even give this vegetarian cookbook the time of day. But it was recommended to me, and I picked it up. And if you like Frank talking that you will like the thug kitchen because it is riddled with expletives um just to keep it clean for your podcast um the beginning excerpt says welcome to the thug kitchen bitches we're here to help we get started our we started our website (laughs) to inspire our mother effers to eat some goddamn vegetables and adopt a healthier lifestyle our motto is eat like you give an f so That'll give you an idea. Like what's fun about this cookbook is that it kind of talks to you in a very off the cuff kind of way. They want to combat the idea that of this aura of elitism surrounding eating well and how, you know, they say people tend to associate health with wealth and they want to kind of break down that stereotype and show you like how you can eat healthy and how you can substitute some vegetarian options for meat in your life to kind of, you know, uh, give your diet a little bit of a break from being too protein heavy, which is very common here in the United States in particular. But I never knew how to cook tofu. And now I know how to cook tofu and it's delicious. (laughs) I love that. Like making vegetables hardcore. I think that's pretty pretty Yeah, So it's great. It's, it's, it's also very affordable. It's like a, depending on if you can get it on sale or not, it's like a 10 to $15 book. Um, if you're interested in some really fun recipes, the Thug Kitchen Cookbook. Thug Kitchen Cookbook, very cool. How about you, Christian? You got a you got a parting gift? Yeah, I'll take a zig and follow that zag. It's old, but uh, I recently showed it to friends when I was in Salt Lake, and it's still worth rewatching. If for somehow you missed Brent Weinbach, who is a hysterical comedian, and also used to have a long running video game score. Um, podcast. The guy is so knowledgeable about, you know, JRPG scores and stuff like that. Anyway, gamer. Um, he released a, a short or a sketch um, maybe two years ago, three years ago, maybe longer. Gangster Party Line. Man, if you haven't watched this, it's it's vulgar. It's a lot of swearing in it, but it's so funny. Gangster Party Line by Brent Weinbach. Guaranteed lulls. It is so good. And it, maybe you can read your cookbook while you watch it. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, because, you know, I told you a VR-heavy episode. I'm going to stick with the VR theme. And I tell you about uh, this thing I'm very proud of. If you saw my Instagram or my Twitter this week, uh, you know how proud I was. I posted a little video of myself. Uh, I did an Ikea hack for my Vive. Uh, one of the big problems of Vive is that cord can wrap around your legs and be be problematic. You know, when Christian came over, if you guys saw the videos that we took of him uh, testing out the vibe. I was like his roadie constantly removing the the cord from around his feet, uh, which is fun if you have somebody to constantly be your roadie, but who has that person around all the time? So what I did is I went to Ikea. I have to admit, I did not come up with this idea on my own. Uh, Alex Albrecht forwarded me this, somebody on Reddit posted there. They figured it out. So, uh, credit where credit is due, but man, I still felt proud of myself for doing it. Uh, bought a lamp at Ikea called Regolit. 
You know how IKEA has names for stuff? It's called Regolit. Uh, and it's this big, like, arching uh, overhead lamp that's kind of on this this big, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Uh, the, the, it's like a yeah, boom pole or a fishing pole The arm looks like something. a fishing pole, and it, it has give to it, right? So I uh, removed the lamp part. I just snipped off the cord that has the, the, the light bulb. And bought some of those uh, those Velcro ties and then, you know, ran the cord from the Vive headset through those ties up the arm of this lamp and have the Vive headset coming down the top. And now I can walk around my room completely free from cord tangles. And it feels amazing and awesome. And I feel like uh, this is the perfect VR setup. So if you have a Vive and uh, you're getting tangled, consider investing in a Regolit and then do a little uh, snip snip. Re- rework it works great it's pretty awesome it's very cool also check out my instagram if you want to see video of it because uh it's pretty neat check out the instagram just to see jeff laughing about how pleased <laughs> oh, he is with himself it's... i was very tickled with myself that's for sure <laughs> it's worth all a right watch. like i said we do still have bonus content coming up from uh cloudhead games uh really really cool interview you guys should stick around for that but thank you so much to andrea renee and Christian Spicer for uh, being able to record this on on the weekend to, to make room for me traveling a little bit this week. Uh, thanks to uh, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumper musics that we enjoy so much. We really appreciate that. Uh, thanks to all the folks that hung out in the chat room and participated in the show this week. We love having you guys uh, along for the ride. And thanks to all of you who downloaded the show, share it with your friends, and give us good ratings. We appreciate it. Uh, we we are will be back next week. Uh, even though it's Memorial Day, we will be doing an episode. So um, very excited for that. Going to have a cool guest as well. Uh, until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Hey guys, for the next three minutes and 30 seconds, I'm going to be doing a little bit more uncharted spoiler talk. People, you know, sent in emails and stuff. So after I'm done prefacing with this introduction, my spoiler talk is three minutes and 30 seconds long. After that, it is Jeff's bonus interview. So I'm going to stop doing this intro. Then you're going to hear me again. It's going to be three minutes and 30 seconds of uncharted four spoiler talk. If you don't want to hear that, zoom ahead. Cool. Okay, so this is Christian here with a little follow up to the uncharted spoiler talk on last week's show. A lot of people pointed out to me that Rafe was in fact a bad guy and was made a bad guy as shown when he murdered Vargas as they were trying to escape the prison. I appreciate everybody pointing that out. Um, I think it's an interesting point, but I don't think it's one that changes the fact that of um, Sam, Nate, and Rafe, Rafe is probably the least bad of those people yes Rafe murdered Vargas that's a horrible thing but of any killings in the game I almost feel like it is the most justified Vargas is a corrupt police officer or prison warden and he's found out to he's found them out he found out that Nate has been lying to him lied to him just a few seconds ago and he's already corrupt we know he's not a decent good person and the chances of him just letting them go or they cut him in the deal or whatever, he's going to be okay with that going forward is minuscule. This is something that they've been working on for a very long time. They've been caught by someone in a position of power that can ruin everything for them. Yes, did they need to kill him? No. If they didn't, is there a good chance that if this were real life, which let's be honest, there's no way this is real life, it would create a huge headache for them? 
Yes, is the right thing to do to kill someone? Never. But of, of these characters, Rafe, Nate, and Sam, I think Rafe's killing of Vargas was one of the most justifiable murders in this game from a perspective of what they were trying to achieve. The reason I also think that Nate is still a bad guy in these situations is, okay, legally, yes, words should not be allowed and cannot incite violence, right? Like, you can't go up to someone and yell swear words at them, and if they punch you, the defense can't be, well, they yelled swear words at me. But Nate is the type of character that constantly gets himself into trouble and caught, and then he uses words to incite the other person to violence. He always tries to then talk his way out of it. He's the weaselly jerk that gets found out and is like, wait, 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 I wasn't really trying to steal your trophy, let's talk about it why can't we talk about it why do you have to be all horrible with your violence well nate the reason people are going to be horrible with their violence is because you are consistently screwing over other people that is all you do and when you have a track record of doing that the fact that you think that then you could talk your way out of it or someone nadine or rafe is going to sit down and be like you're right nate you have a track record of being a weaselly jerk who always stabs people in the back when they give you an opportunity to do the right thing now we're going to sit down and talk about it no nadine punches the crap out of drake because she knows the type of person he is so to say that he's not as bad as uh Rafe for killing Vargas, I think misses the point that Nate always gets him into the bad situations and then refuses to go that farthest step to solve it, but then continues to put them in those bad situations. Now, I guess you could say that murdering is the thing that makes you worse and that, in fact, makes them a worse character. Fine. Tomato, tomato, right? (laughs) I do think it's an interesting argument. It's not one I agree with, but I see the point. I do think, however, that Sam is still the worst villain in the game, lest we forget that he tried to murder Nadine in cold blood just because he was going to pull the trigger and then maybe get him and nate murdered also nate pushes him and deflects that bullet yes uh rafe murders vargas in the prison sam attempted to murder nadine the thought was there the action was there unfortunately he missed sam is a bad guy nate is a bad guy if you want to argue that rafe is also a bad guy okay i'm on board there you have it all right, I'm here with Joel Green uh, from Cloudhead Games. Um, welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you very much. Uh, these are the, the Cloudhead is the is the company that made the Gallery Episode One Call of the Star Seed, which listeners have heard me rave about uh, as one of the, I would say, top two or three Vive experiences that are available now. I mean, this is really for me one of the things that that proves the the very bright future for, for room scale VR. Um, I, I love the game and, and it's really, it's just the first episode, right? You guys have more to come from the gallery. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is just like the, the kind of down the rabbit hole episode. We were really just focused on, you know, introducing people to VR as well as the game world and the game mechanics itself, but mostly focused on just kind of being a, a good first introduction to the medium. And then, EP2 is when we're going to start pushing people a little harder. I love it. I, I can't wait. Now, um, people have heard me talk about the game before, but just a little recap. It's, it very much is an adventure. You, you are, you know, you're searching for your sister, and uh, in, in the style of Myst or even sort of those old point-and-click adventure games, you're collecting items, finding clues, putting things together, solving puzzles, moving forward and, and unraveling the mystery. But... The twist here is that you're actually there in in the space in VR, yeah. and I think that experience is so much more. It, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Just the the medium itself is allows us to take you know old kind of old 
experiences, like things that we're all familiar with and put them into the new medium and make them work well in the new medium. And then, you know, it just becomes a whole different thing than it used to be. Yeah. I think for me, some of the the revelations that I had were, were how fun things are in VR that are just sort of mundane in regular video games. Like yeah. inventory management, for example, is a yeah. blast in your game. Can you talk about some of those discoveries that you guys made? Yeah, totally. The The backpack has been, people have been really stoked about it, which is great because we, for us, it was actually like a huge pain point for a really long time. <laughs> Um, we, we went through like tons of iterations with the backpack. Um, we actually started making this game back on like the DK one with the razor hydras. And so we had a completely different control scheme and the backpack you always knew you wanted it to be sort of room scale and standing and physically interacting with things. That was always like the vision we were hoping for, but, but we were making it, um, you know, kind of irresponsibly just just charging towards a future that didn't exist yet and hoping <laughs> that somebody would would invent that and um you know one day we got a call from valve and they brought us in and showed us like exactly what we wanted right so in the vibe so um we kind of had to remake the game a little bit to round room scale and everything but um you know it it was the perfect platform you know in terms of what we actually were hoping for so yeah the backpack was uh, it used to just be on a button press and used to kind of swipe through the items. If people had played it at PAX, they would have had played that version where you're kind of like swiping through them. Um, but we, it just became a problem when there were too many items in the pack. So we kind of redesigned the whole thing late in the game to make it a little more of like a mix of kind of a traditional UI and something physical, mm-hmm. which, you know, intuitively didn't seem like the right move. Like you kind of always want to make things straight up like VR physical object, but really it turned out that you know it's kind of cool and it's okay to have this mix of like of a more ui element combined with something physical yeah and i think in in most traditional adventure games or role playing games i kind of want my my inventory management to be as friction free as possible i want to get yeah. in and get out i want to do it fast and here like just the just the fiddling around with things is fun yeah it's wild yeah. Yeah, just just because it's physical, it's it's totally exactly that. We we were focused on making it usable above anything, but then yeah, like trying to add fun, especially in a game like ours where, you know, we don't have any like shooting mechanics. Well, a little bit of shooting mechanics, but you know, we're not we're not really an action game per se. So, it's nice to to try to make all those little interactions like the backpack just just if you can make those little things fun, then it kind of, you know, elevates the whole experience. So that's what we were going for there. Yeah, and the, and the other thing I discovered is that I think your game proves that in VR, you can get away with a, a completely different pace. You know, you're talking about it not really being an action experience, but I felt just as um, engaged throughout, uh, moving slowly, taking my time, mm-hmm. looking at things, and, and being, even in, in adventure games like Myst, I wouldn't be quite this slow, and I feel like it proves that in VR, it really you can be paced like real life. Yes, totally. Yeah, it's and that was a big one of the things we had to like kind of redo like to be honest because we started with it being more like a traditional video game where there was just almost too much stimulation mm-hmm. and you know, we quickly found out that in VR people are so overwhelmed at first that they just they kind of need uh they need some time to just soak it in like just in terms of, you know, the environment around them before they 
you know, before they start getting all kinds of stuff thrown at them. Yeah. So yeah, we, we were, we were trying to be really cognizant of adding those, those moments of just, you know, letting people kind of work at their own pace and letting people absorb the environments. And then we also tried to really make sure that the environments were filled with things to absorb. Right. And that at first there weren't like, we actually, we actually made the environments way smaller than they used to be because originally, you know, we had these like long tunnels through the sewers and, um, back when you were kind of pushing around on a stick, like a traditional FPS type game, mm-hmm. that worked fine, right? Because it was just you're just kind of pushing forward. But once we added in the blink system and we started like really getting our hands around our minds around VR, like room scale VR, we realized that you know we can just basically shrink these environments down and take all the detail, all the content we were going to put in those bigger environments, and just try to like squeeze it into these smaller ones, and it really just works better for VR. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean that sewer sequence is so cool feeling like you're actually inside a place that I've been in in many video games but I've never felt like I've been there inside yeah, it totally. it's incredible and then you know you you talk about density uh, you know I I feel like that that sequence where you have to put the stuff in the panel uh sort of late in the game and I I found myself like on my hands and knees looking behind things and sh- on yeah. shelves to try to find I mean just that is it's so cool and to describe that to someone it sounds ridiculous and boring yeah, but it, it's yeah. really neat to be looking behind something to find an item yeah totally exactly it's like the you can we think now in terms of like one room like the, like that area is like a whole level now right like right. like you can you can pack so much like if we really wanted to we could make like that that single area into like a three-hour gameplay puzzle right like it's yeah. because you can like you said you can just hide things anywhere and kind of adds so much detail in, in all the smallest spaces and in a way that you just couldn't before. And pe- people in a game that wasn't VR would run into a space like that and be done with it in like 30 seconds, right? Right. So. Yeah, it's so neat. Can you talk a little bit about the the sort of technical challenges? I mean, I think obviously Vive requires a pretty beefy system, but even even beefy systems, there's a, a spectrum of what you're you're designing for. And, you know, having these high frame rates and having two screens, um, are you guys butting up against sort of graphical fidelity or a number of items that you can put in the geometry you can put in an environment? Yeah, all of those things for sure. (laughs) It's yeah, it's uh, we're constantly riding the line of like what's okay with the min spec. Um, And it's. It's really been tricky because, like I said, we kind of started. We started on the DK one, and we used to be thirty frames per second. And um, so there, there was a big push at some point for us to get the game up to up to ninety and figure out like exactly how we were going to do that. And the whole thing of making the environment smaller and more detailed that that kind of fed into that, you know, because we were able to. We realized that we didn't have to have these giant giant places, so we could kind of you know scale down, and that helped helped with performance. Uh, we also like kind of split up levels as much as possible, so the the you know there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on, so that uh, you know you're not loading everything at once and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, in general, it's very tricky, and we have some very smart engineers who uh, spent a large chunk of the the finaling process just optimizing to to try to hit the frame rates, and we're still it's still working on it in patches, trying to get it down even lower. Um, we're also working directly with NVIDIA and Valve now to to basically like squeeze more performance out of them via their their features and their drivers. So I think people are going to be really excited very soon this year. There's going to be um, some announcements I think about you know the performance 
um, increasing without you having to actually really do anything. Oh, that's very cool. I mean, I'm as somebody who you know invested in a in a higher end system. I'm I'm like I want sliders. I want to try to you know make things look even better and better yeah, yeah. on my end. So I'm hoping that that's the case. Yeah. Um, well, the, one nice thing that they have built into Steam VR is you can actually like um, you can basically um, super sample the resolution. So like you know, really easily, even in our game, if you go into the graphics settings, you can set like the, the HMD resolution up to like 20 and it basically like doubles the resolution so that the, wow. everything just looks a lot more crisp. So um, yeah, there's no shortage of room for, for, you know, making things look better when people get more powerful systems. Yeah. Now, did you guys come to the decision of, of making it an, an episodic game in order to sort of have something available at launch? Is, was that part of the decision? Yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't originally planned that way. Um, part of it, to be honest, was just like realizing how much work it was going to be for us to make this this level of detail in the world. Um, again, it's like VR, you know, to you really you can't just have a room. Well, you can, but you don't want to just have like a room that looks like a normal video game room with you know things that you can't interact with and right. you know, not a lot of detail. And like, if you do that, it's just, it just doesn't really, it's not compelling in VR. Right. So as we realized that we, you know, that actually ups the amount of man hours you need to put into these kinds of things. Obviously you're adding detail to every little object and you're making everything interactable. It just makes it, you know, a lot more time consuming. So yeah, like definitely that part of it was just us realizing that in order to game, make the game, you know, at the quality level that we wanted to, we were going to have to split it up with, with our small team where we have less than 10 developers and it was a lot less than that for um, most of the time. So um, yeah, it was partially that. And then partially also that we actually think it's just like kind of a, a cool way to do it with VR because um, things are going to keep changing with VR really fast, right? Like people right. are learning, constantly learning and pushing the tech and, you know, we learn from what other people are doing as well. And so we just kind of felt like it'd be cool to, um, you know, do it episodic so that the first one is like kind of our first stab at what people, you know, what we thought would be a really great introduction to VR for people. But we know that it's not perfect. And, and frankly, I think we'll be able to look back on it in five years and kind of laugh at it. And uh, so we're hoping with the second and third and fourth episodes, we're going to be able to keep pushing the boundaries keep innovating keep making things better and slicker and then and then hopefully be able to roll that back into the previous episodes so that mm. by the by the time the fourth one comes out you know the whole thing will feel still current that's kind of the plan that's very cool it makes me very excited for episode two i mean just the the taste of of what we have already in episode one i'm just like uh, more and bigger and better and uh, just, yeah so exciting. we're having a lot of fun with it right now it's like i right after this interview i have a big story meeting to kind of like lock down everything that's happening in ep2 and everybody on the team is just like super excited about it because we the first one we were a little bit locked down to like the real world because it had to start kind of you know on earth but as you know the end hints at some some yeah. bigger things that happen so um ep2 we're able to have a little more freedom and you know what we play with in terms of the rules and we also have some other some big uh gameplay features that are new as well as uh, that also got hinted at at the end of ep1 so yeah we're super stoked and it it should be it should be a lot of fun when it comes out can you talk uh, any about some of those things that you mentioned that you're learning from other games or that the sort of vr in general is learning as as the headsets hit consumers you know in, in in bulk yeah yeah um 
I mean, we learned a lot during our own development in terms of the, you know, movement, all the normal things people talk about, you know, locomotion and um, the backpack, stuff like that, that I was talking about before. I'm the audio director, so, like, you know, there's a ton to learn in terms of audio, and I I didn't get to, to do as much as I wanted because we all wear a lot of hats around here, and I, um, you know, didn't quite have the time, but I, I'm... Basically, like, there's just every single kind of discipline has has all these new things that we can learn, art and audio and everything. And so um, one, one of the major things is just kind of usability and UI stuff that, that we're seeing, you know, from our own game, but also from other people's games. Fantastic Contraption and Job Simulator. Everybody's kind of, like, trying all these new ways of, of making menus and, yeah. uh, you know, coming up, solving these these problems in terms of, like, well, we know how we would have done it previously, but how are we going to do it now? And like, what is is the old way actually the right way to do this? And those kinds of things. So, um, you know, yeah, we we totally looked at all the other developers, and we talked to all the other developers. We're all a lot of the the Vive launch titles. You know, we kind of came up together like the, these little companies. Yeah. Because um, Valve invited us in really early to start working with the Vive, and they've they've been really kind of facilitating this community and you know we have a slack channel that we all talk on and everything so we're all kind of learning from one another as things go it's so exciting especially from a from a player's perspective you know every new experience that i try on vive you know it has okay oh this interesting little menu system or interesting little inventory yeah. system or kind of cool little innovations or how i move around in this game and how i move around in that game and um it it really feels like the you know the wild west where it, there's so much happening out there on the frontier that who knows what's around the next corner it's, it's a totally yeah time. everyone's trying trying different things and it's yeah it's super exciting just even if if the game itself doesn't you know pull it off it's like sometimes they'll have one mechanic that's super fun and super cool and then like that might become the, the way people do it for the next six months and then someone else will figure out a better way and yeah, yeah it's super fun right now the the landscape of vr in general i mean we just had a google announce their daydream uh, initiative and it really does seem like mobile is going to be the place that a lot of people will first try vr but the experience of the gallery is so much more than what's available on those other platforms um can you talk a little bit about you know the the vr landscape in general and and choosing to stick with with room scale is there from a business standpoint, is that something you guys worry about or? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, internally we consider them all almost like different mediums, you know, um, like if you're looking at Gear VR versus the Vive, anyone who's tried both understands that, you know, they're, they're really fundamentally different in terms of what you can do and what kinds of experiences work on, on each one. Um, so we currently are focused on, you know, the high highest end kind of best VR that we can work on, which is currently the Vive. And, um, you know, th- that's most of the guys in the studio are really passionate about, about you know, the future of VR and, and you know, where it's going to go. So we all kind of want to be on that cutting edge. Um, that said, there's definitely a lot of um, cool things that can be done with the mobile VR um, platforms. So... You know, you might see us branch out into those those spaces. We don't have any big plans yet, but um, we're we're definitely looking at them, and we have all kinds of stuff in the office that we're playing with. So um, it certainly could happen at some point. And like I said, I, I I think that they're they're viable. Like you can make cool stuff on those, and like and it might just be kind of the gateway drug that people need to get to the the more you know intense VR like the vibe. I'm glad that they all exist at this point. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it feels to me from the outside, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like, you know, being part of a small install base um, and sort of smaller developers maybe being a little riskier and jumping in, uh, you know, with Vive on day one, it, it feels like this smaller community that's really supportive and, and an interesting thing to, to see from the ground up. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We've been just blown away by the support of the fans. And, you know, when you're working on a game like this, you're so deep into it at the end and so close to it. You just have no idea if it's any good or not. Like you, especially with the the situation that was happening with the vibe and nobody really had vibes, right? Like, so we couldn't really play test the game very, very easily. And we were just kind of in the dark and throwing it out there. And so, yeah, we've been super, super happy with the reception and, People have just been, you know, they've been totally understanding of the fact that, like, the game, you know, probably costs a little more than it would have if it wasn't a VR game. But, um, you know, we've tried to explain, like, the fact that there's economics involved and that, like, you know, if we want to keep making these games, like, this is just the way it's going to be for now. And people, like, people have been so awesome about that and just, like, really, they want to see the medium succeed. They want to see us keep making games and they're putting their money where their mouth is and it's it's allowing us to keep moving forward. So, yeah, we're yeah. super grateful. Yeah, it's neat. I mean, I, I met you guys uh, at PAX East a year ago and yeah. demoed the game. And, and the game demos well. I mean, it, it, you, you walking up to that campfire and messing with all the fun stuff at the campfire is, is, is cool. And you get it and you go, oh, my gosh, this is neat. But I think your game, more than almost any other game that's available on Vive now, is that sort of like take it home, spend a few hours with it, and really dig in deep and, and get invested in this story and go through this world and, and take your time. And I love that there is that experience available on Vive because so many of the Vive games now are like, you know, you can pay, play it for 10 minutes and you get it. And it's fun, and it, but it's this kind of arcadey experience that's cool. But I love that there's this meteor you know, deeper experience available as well. Yeah, totally. And that, that was absolutely our goal. Um, you know, we, we fell into it a little bit, um, partially out of naivety and partially out of the fact that we started quite a long time ago. And um, so it, but we're really happy about where we ended up for exactly that reason that, that it is kind of a unique um, experience right now in the vibe. And really, frankly, that's because it's it's an expensive experience to make, right? There's not a lot of indie developers that are coming out of the woodwork and just saying, let's make this, like, you know, high-fidelity, um, fully voice-acted, mo-capped, story-based yeah. game. Like, it's not the first thing you think of when you're an indie group right. with a couple of dudes, right? Like, so, um, yeah, it's we're really glad it exists, too, because we, you know, one of our missions was to show people you know, what, what could be done in terms of that, that transportive nature and not just the, not just the kind of mechanic stuff we try to, we obviously focus on mechanics as well, but yeah, for us, it's like, we were just making what we wanted to play. Right. And it's, you know, we always knew there was going to be a large contingent of people that got their vibe and set it up and they're like, okay, I want to go somewhere, you know, like I want to be taken to another place and just get lost in it. And when I take off the headset, I want to kind of be you know, surprised that I'm back home again. And that, that was really our mission from the beginning. Well, you succeeded. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, do you have any, any idea when episode two might be expected? Um, we don't know yet. It's not going to be like the usual episodic three month kind of thing. Um, partially because it's, it's episodic in story. Um, but we're really trying to make, 
Uh, like I said before, we're trying to innovate with each episode and make sure that we're on top of like what's possible in VR each time and like continue to kind of blow people away rather than just adding more content. So it's definitely going to be um, more than six months and less than one year kind of thing. Okay. Well, I'm That's excited. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really a big fan of the game and uh, I wish you guys all the success. Joel Green, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I appreciate coming.